And I'll bet what you hated the most is that they identified me as a co-founder of Facebook, which I am. You better lawyer up, asshole, because I'm not coming back for 30%. I'm coming back for everything. <laughs> Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week, like every week, we are exploring the great film called The Social Network. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a writer, producer, and host uh, in San Diego, California. And we've changed the name of the show to The Social Network Files. That's what it is from <laughs> now on. But yeah, back and excited to dive back in with our special guest, Steve. That's right. Uh, my partner on Enterprise Incidents, one of the great cinephiles guests of all time, Scott Mance. Welcome back to The Social Files. <laughs> I am very, very excited to be back on The Social Files. If we can just keep this going all year round. I mean, as you both know, I've been wanting to do no! the network. Uh, <laughs> I've been wanting to do The Social Network on The Cinephiles uh, for years. So you'll excuse me if I say Take as much time as you need. <laughs> <laughs> well, where we left off, um, the Facebook had just launched. It's become a huge hit. And we returned back to their dorm room where Eduardo wants to monetize Facebook. And yeah. this is something that's going to have going to be a huge part of their growing conflict that he wants to do advertising. But like all good Aaron Sorkin scenes, we're going to talk about multiple things simultaneously. So they're talking about advertising, but they're also talking about the girls who asked them, who wanted to go out with them. And as the scene is going on, I love this moment because Eduardo, I think for most things, what he is saying makes sense is business wise. Yeah, of course you want to monetize things. That's what you do. But then Mark says, and I think this is a beautiful, brilliant, rambling sort of line he says we don't even know what it is yet we don't know what it is we don't know what it can be we don't know what it will be we know that it is cool that is a priceless asset i'm not giving up strong words i mean because that's something out of the realm of his scientific ability quantifying what is cool so this idea that understanding the cool transcends what uh, whatever there is i think is a great exchange here with between him and eduardo Facebook must feel cool. It must seem rebellious. It must must seem something that people want to do. Once you homogenize it, it'll lose its its rebellious nature, and people won't want to be a part of it. Also, also Zuckerberg is taking a breather. Mm. He's he's taking a step back, and he's realizing the scope of what he's doing, and he's starting to look at the bigger picture. And he he just lacks the expertise to frame that picture, but the picture itself, he's got that down. Yeah. Do you think that Mark from the beginning always wanted to create something essentially world changing something that his ambitions were that big from the beginning? Uh, I don't know if he, if uh, at least according to the film, he had his sights that high. I don't think he started to sort of formulate that, until all the pieces came together in the way that he could use the pieces around him. And then he's like putting them together going like, wait a minute. Then he starts to realize that, uh, that it is going to be something very big. That's why he strung the Winklevoss twins along for as, for as long as he did, because he's like, you know, wait a minute. I'm not sure what I got here. I'm not sure where this is going. Um, I don't want to cut these guys loose yet. 
until I have a firm grasp on what it is that I can do. And then once, once he had that down, then he's like, you know, see you later. I think all people who can create great things may not, may not consciously be aware that they want to create great things, but when the opportunity arises, they feel driven to follow that. Some people are capable of creating th- great things and they talk themselves out of it or they look at all the things that could go wrong and then don't go forward. But some people are driven or chosen or blessed or whatever, and it, they're instinctively dri- connected to this thing and, dr- and are driven to see it to its end. I think Mark's reactions as these doors slowly open for him to create this, his enthusiasm, his running across campus, all these things show that there's something driving him instinctively at a real subconscious primal level that he has to follow this through. So yeah, I would say maybe he didn't consciously know he was going to create or was trying to create something great, but when the opportunity came, he immediately knew what to do with it and ran with it. And so that speaks volumes about what he wanted to do um, inside of himself. You know what just occurred to me, and had hadn't I can't believe this hadn't occurred to me until really this moment, yeah. is that this is a movie about partnership, about a mm. partnership at the beginning of a thing, and the three of us are partners. Like the the three of us, we each, you know, John and I on the cinephiles and Scott and I on enterprise incidents mm-hmm. formed a partnership and decided to launch a thing. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is, is I know in my early conversations with John and in my early conversations with Scott, with John was like, all we want to do is create the greatest movie podcast ever made. That's and it. Scott, <laughs> there was the same conversation. You know, Scott is like, well, I remember you asked me, how is Enterprise Incidents going to be different? And I said, well, the first thing is that it's going to be us. And the second thing is that we're going to make the greatest deep dive into the original series ever done. That was the, that was the pitch, you know? Like, it was that level of ambition. And, and the other thing is that I think in this, not with the three of us, because I think all three of us were on the same page, mm. but I think Eduardo's ambitions are nowhere near what Mark is. He has nowhere near the vision that Mark has. That That's a, a great epiphany you had, Steve, because in the case of the cinephiles, I know for a fact that the both of you, when I first came on the cinephiles, it was not what it is now. In terms mm, no, of like true. just the, the scope of the show, we you know we did Wrath of Khan in one sitting. I think if we were going to do Wrath of Khan again, <laughs> oh, you know, God. it would be at least three. <laughs> you yeah, know, no. so yeah. what you set out to do initially, like like at a certain point of doing the cinephiles, you guys came to a point where you you realized what direction that was going to go. You realized what the true potential actually is. In the case of enterprise incidents, you know, you know, Steve, you, I gotta say, you, you kind of approached me about this many times and I just was, I did not see the big picture. And then when I finally said yes to it, it wasn't, it, it actually did not take long for, for me to see like what the true potential would be. And once we started looking at the show as a, as an overreaching arc and I, oh, okay, now I get it. But the point is, is that like, Zuckerberg is where we were when you guys started the cinephiles and when we started enterprise incidents, neither of which are going to be as big as Facebook, but still, <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> his dream. Um, well, and, but, and what you point out, Scott, I think relates exactly to this next moment in the scene, which is Eduardo asks, when will it be finished? It won't be finished. 
That's the point, the way fashion's never finished. What? Fashion, fashion is never finished. You're talking about fashion, really? You... I'm talking about the idea of it, and I'm saying that it's never finished. Okay. And that is definitely, the, the cinephiles is cont continues to change. Enterprise Incidents, when we moved into the animated series, it changed a ton. Yeah. Because the requirements were different. And so, you know, it's never going to be finished. We're never going to be done improving what we're working on. Right. And then it's at this moment that Eduardo sees the cease and desist letter from the Winklevoss twins. And he, I would say, freaks out. Why didn't you show this to me? It was addressed to me. They're saying that we stole the Facebook from Divya Narendra and the Winklevoss. I know what it says. Is he right to freak out on Mark? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think that Eduardo, well, he definitely doesn't have the scope of of what zuckerberg has you know zuckerberg feels like this don't worry don't worry this is nothing but Saverin sees it as uh, as a real threat because he's not inside zuckerberg's head he may think he is but he's not it's one of the key it's one of the key leadership things it took me a long time to learn is people can't actually read your mind you have to communicate and mark doesn't know that yet right yeah that's a good point. Well, and even, but even if he could, I don't think Eduardo would get it either way. It, Eduardo's not built the same way Mark is, and Mark sees things completely differently than Eduardo does. I think Eduardo freaks out because then let's not forget. I mean, it's very clearly stated that Eduardo built and constructed his own things. He built and like he wasn't new to constructing something like this. It, but it, he doesn't. Ha he, but he built them and then he walked away from them. Built them, created them. They were successful, mm -hmm. and then walked away. So. The thing with him and Zuckerberg is this is something that could actually be global. It could actually be way bigger than yeah. anything created. So Eduardo defaults back to when's this done? So when's so we can move on to the next thing? And it's like, no, this is not going to be done. And so when he sees the cease and desist, Eduardo is more of a straight laced guy, more by the rules, by the you know, book, by the book guy. So naturally he's going to freak out because he doesn't want to take a chance to have any kind of issues, whereas Mark is more than willing to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the um, corporation or with the structure. The letter says we could face legal action. No, it says I could face legal action. That moment is funny. So watching it uh, for the show, that moment struck me as super important in terms of the way they view things. And then what I'm watching, because I think I mentioned in the behind the scenes, they showed a lot of the rehearsal process. And this was a moment that Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher focused in on these two lines. Yeah. And this is why, and John, I mean, I know you've been through this many times, why the rehearsal process could be so great and so mm -hmm. important is because you have time to drill down into dialogue and they discussed what Eduardo and Mark's worldview is and what their view of Facebook is and what their view of each other is. And a lot of it comes in these lines. This says we could face legal action. No, I can face legal action. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If there's something wrong, if there's ever anything wrong, you can tell me. I'm the guy that wants to help. This is our thing. It's so the framing of Eduardo as his one true friend, you know? Mm -hmm. It's raining. I'm sorry? It just started raining. Mr. Zuckerberg, do I have your full attention? No. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and first yeah. of all, we return to that same music, the title music. Mm. Um, and as I think I mentioned, it's now Mike differently with a different piano, and it's Mike more far, farther away. Do you think I deserve it? What? Do you think I deserve your full attention? This is one of those moments in a movie, you know what I mean? Where like, naturally what we say in all normal social circumstances, you say, I'm sorry, yes, you have my full attention. That's what we do as humans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is not what Mark does. I had to swear an oath before we began this deposition and I don't want to perjure myself. So I have a legal obligation to say no. 
So already he's kind of broken the social contract. I think if your clients want to sit on my shoulders and call themselves tall, they have a right to give it a try, but there's no requirement that I enjoy sitting here listening to people lie. You have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. Let me ask you a question with this. Mm. Like, do you like Mark Zuckerberg at this point? Do you like him? I like, kind of like do. What, what, is, what is, look at his absolute disrespect to everyone around him during these depositions. Yeah. I mean, do you like him? Like, why are, are you rooting for him? And this is all in the context of the film. I am, mostly because I like it when you can stick it to the rich. And so I like this moment that he is calling them out. And Steve left out, he prefaces this by saying, I'm at a deposition, so I have to tell the truth. And then he says the things that he says. So in a way, he's working within the construct that they have imposed on him, but he's still rebelling within the construct, which I think takes a certain level of intelligence. So I admire intelligent people who are willing to push back on certain things. Now, was he wrong? Yeah. But I like the way he's like putting people in their place, using his mind, whether it's the best way to keep you know, social, a social contract, as Steve said, and keep everybody like chill so there's no escalation of conflict. No, but I kind of enjoy someone who can, you know. What about you, Steve? So I think we have to talk about the difference between liking a character in a movie and liking a person that you would want to hang out with. I don't like Mark Zuckerberg, but I don't like Hannibal Lecter either. And I'm not comparing Mark Zuckerberg to Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> right. But I am making the point that in the context of the film, I love Hannibal Lecter. He is brilliant and fascinating and perceptive and cutting and talented in all of these ways. And I cannot take my eyes off of him. Now, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg is a character or Jesse Eisenberg has the charisma that Anthony Hopkins brings to that role. But I do think watching his intelligence, I love this moment. And I also think legally he is making a brilliant move because it's not just he's not just insulting the lawyer. He is framing the situation. He is saying I created Facebook. I, I am operating and proving I am operating at a level so far beyond the Winklevoss twins that they couldn't possibly do what I'm doing because that's what the next moment is. The rest of my attention is back at the offices of Facebook, where my colleagues and I are doing things that no one in this room, including and especially your clients, are intellectually or creatively capable of doing. Did I adequately answer your condescending question? Okay, so here's what I have to say about, about both of your responses. Okay. I agree with both of them. I agree with both of them. I I also want to add, like in the context of, uh, I mean, you bring up Hannibal Lecter. Sure, that's a great uh, perspective. That's a great, you know, way to frame it in the context of great sort of movie sort of villains. I mean, you know, I don't like Darth Vader. I wouldn't want to hang out with him. <laughs> but but you know, he's a great character. And I think in the case of, well, you know, since you brought up Hannibal Lecter, Anthony Hopkins, but certainly in the case of Jesse Eisenberg as Zuckerberg, there are there are two levels in which I'm I'm on board with this. One is the level in which Zuckerberg is really, really freaking smart. And his intelligence is giving him a level of con of confidence is he is he of too condescending to the people around him even the the attorneys doing their jobs he definitely did he do do i think he screwed over the winklevoss twins yeah absolutely i do um but then there's the level of jesse eisenberg's performance mm. no one could have played 
Zuckerberg other than Jesse Eisenberg. This was like the role he was born to play. He was playing this character in other films before he even got to the social network. Good point. So to watch an actor at the top of his game like Jesse Eisenberg in this film, that is what makes me go, wow, that is really freaking impressive. Also, this scene is is like, um, you know, we enjoy in sports when players can, well, a lot of us enjoy it in sports when players can talk shit and back it up, you know, and essentially what he's doing here is talking shit and backing it up. He's a nerd yeah. talking shit on the court to other nerds and backing it up. So yeah. I kind of admire that a little bit from my own upbringing and understanding, you know, talking shit on the court and how important it is. <laughs> you know, it just occurred to me because you said he's talking shit to other nerds and I went, are the Winklevoss twins nerds? And I actually think that's the, they have the discipline of athletes. I don't think they're nerds. I, I think either. they're the opposite of nerds. Really? And I, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't because because You're that intelligent. They didn't get to Harvard on a rowing scholarship. But, but intelligent. Being, being intelligent, intelligence doesn't mean yes, it doesn't mean a nerd. Every intelligent jocks. No, they're yes. they're, they're great looking jocks, and from the moment they meet Zuckerberg, they talk down to him like he is he is a nerd. I mean, you know, we all know the type. You know, we all oh, right. Know, yes, middle Jock school, nerd. high school, and college. You know, we yeah. we know when we're. When we're you know up against you know uh, the the frat boys and the the, the jocks who are, are looking at us like like nerds uh, and and talking down to us and thinking we're not worthy and how entitled they are, uh, that's who the Winklevoss twins are. They had a great idea, but they lacked the intelligence to bring it to life, which is why they needed and used Zuckerberg, not realizing that Zuckerberg was a one step ahead of the game and already using them. Yeah, yeah they, they they're the people that hire nerds. You know, it's like it's like Robert Redford is a very intelligent person, but I don't think anyone would ever describe him as a nerd. Really? <laughs> I do. I, I think they're nerds. Intelligent people are nerds. And I'm OK no, with that. In my no, no. Yeah. Strong disagreement. We'll fine. do a short on the topic. Yeah, <laughs> we won't um, agree, but OK, fine. Yeah. Um, so uh, and, and of course, because, again, Sorkin's always doing multiple things at once. We go back to another thread that we dropped for a while, because next thing we hear is. So uh, what were their names? Their names were Christy and Alice, and they want to have drinks tonight. Cut to a bathroom stall, feet running into frame in the bathroom stall, male and female feet. And there we see Eduardo and Christy as she rips his shirt open and then kind of disappears. And then we hear that in the next stall, there's another couple and something's happening there, which, of course, we know is Mark. Mm-hmm. It's after <laughs> we're outside and Mark and Eduardo are standing outside the bathroom with what I can only describe as shit hitting grins on their face. Yes. And a guy walks up and they say, Hey man, sorry. Um, a couple of girls freshening up in there. Sweet. And that guy, this is the only appearance of the face of Josh Pence in the social network. That is the guy who's doubling uh, the Winklevoss twin throughout oh. the entire movie. Oh, okay. I got to tell you, I got to tell you what I'm doing now with you guys is something I've never done before. Okay. While I am talking to you. You have, I, up? Am, I have the social network on my TV nice. and I am, uh, I am, I'm advancing each frame, Steve. <laughs> it's like watching, uh, watching this with a cinephiles, uh, commentary track. <laughs> <laughs> which I've never done before. And I got to say, this is really fascinating. Um, 
because I'm looking at this guy who was the other, you know, twin. And I'm going, I never knew this in real time. (laughs) It's funny talking about ways that I, I started having the movie up about a year and a half ago. I started, I didn't used to, I used to just have my notes and now I'm like, I have the movie up so I can check things and make sure I'm saying the right thing. Uh, I don't, do you have the movie up when we're doing the, the podcast? Yeah, I do occasionally sometimes. Yeah. If it's on HBO max or Amazon prime or whatever, I will have it up and just kind of sometimes while we're talking and having to back and forth, uh, the scene will come up that we're talking about and I'll jump in with some stuff for sure. Yeah. yeah. It depends on the movie, but I have done that on occasion. Yeah. Well, because c- what I found was sometimes John, you'll say, well, like the, the shot of this and this, and I'll go, what is, I don't remember what that shot looks like. And so I'll quickly like go like, Oh, now I see what you're talking about. And then yeah. we can discuss it. So, you know, this is just the way this show continues to evolve. <laughs> so we're at this restaurant. Yeah. So we're at this restaurant. And after this moment with the girls, the next thing that Mark Zuckerberg sees is Erica. sitting at a table with some friends. Can I talk to you alone for a second? I think I'm good right here. I think Rumara plays this brilliantly. Two things about this. First of all, yes, Rooney Mara is brilliant in the scene because she has her back to him the whole time. She never turns around completely and faces him. This is the one conversation that Zuckerberg has absolutely no control over. Mm -hmm. Because he's like, I just want to talk. That's when she's like, no, here is fine. And she's keeping her absolute cool. She's not raising her voice. Mm-hmm. And he he's a mess. You know, yeah, you, you ever, I'm sure we've all had those experiences where you yeah. run into an ex, your heart starts beating really fast. You know, you feel the 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 pumping like even in your throat. Uh it's making you sick to your stomach. Just watching the scene made me feel that way, knowing that Eric Albright has the effect that she has on Zuckerberg. And I, I really enjoy watching him squirm because nowhere else does he do that. Yeah, the, the film does an excellent job of balancing out his moments of intellectual triumph with his moments of um, emotional um, uh, Great point. Losses, Great point. Right? Yeah. yeah as, soon, as soon as you see him riding high with the Vinkelvi and hooking up with a woman in the bathroom, um, it's followed by him absolutely fumbling his balls onto the table Aaron, with uh, with. <laughs> With Erica and Scott's absolutely right. I mean, one of one of the things I'm always I was always deathly afraid of when I lived in L.A. was running into my most recent ex because I never wanted to see her again, and I had no idea how I was going to react because of how horrible that relationship was. And so, I would have never done what Eric, what uh, um, Zuckerberg does here, but clearly he is still trying to repair something, and it's smart of the script to keep touching base with these things that he wants to repair. What happened with Erica? And he thinks here he's he's riding high, right? He's had the sex. The Facebook is killing it, so he's got a little confidence to walk up to Erica. She's sitting in a table full of her friends, yeah, and he is willing to like have try to have this conversation. And he tries to drag her away, and she won't go. And Scott, you point out so excellent the fact that her back is to him, and she she turns. She doesn't turn all the way around. She turns over her shoulder. And we've, you know, we've seen that or been at the table when a woman is confronted by someone and she's like, no, I'm good here. And the guy is kind of left out on the island to figure out how to react to that. And so to see him go through those stages of where she's not going to give him what he wants and he has actually destroyed this and will never make it back. 
And then she calls him out, which we're getting to, I'm sure, is she mentions all the things that he said about her. And she's like, no, you can't take that back. You can't repair yeah. that. Yeah, you, you can't fix that. bitch on the internet. And she yes. said it like she repeated it. She's like, you exactly. called me a bitch on the internet. It's not in an her friends. pencil. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. In front of her so friends who are, who are staring at Zuckerberg, just like totally yeah. judging him. Her her strength in the in the scene, and it's it's the it's not that her performance is flat. I don't mean that, yeah. but the control in yes. her voice. Yeah, as she said, like in the moment where one of her friends says, "Erica, is there a problem?" No, there's no problem. Yeah, she's she's got it. She's handling it. Yeah, you write your snide bullshit from a dark room because that's what the angry do nowadays. So first of all, let's just focus on that line, which is like talk about a prescient line. You know, I mean, it's not that trolling didn't exist when this film was made, but right. man. Well, do you think this is Sorkin, in a way, taking a shot at people who do judge from the sidelines, who do judge? Because Lord, Lord knows Sorkin have certainly taken his hits over the years, and any creative takes his hits over the years from those people sitting in their basements judging who don't have the guts to do what they are doing. And so I wonder if a little bit here she is taking a shot at him, and it's Sorkin putting those words in Erica's mouth to take a shot at the people who have come after creatives or friends of his who've been creatives and been criticized for their work. I don't know. I wonder. Yeah. I totally think so. I totally. totally amazing, yeah. amazing point. Yeah. I mean, who knows? But it sure makes sense. Yeah. And then she says, and I think this line is so key. She says, I was nice to you. Don't torture me for it. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> Such a devastating line. Oh. Oh, such a good line. You know, he continually is trying to like, can we please talk privately? And she won't leave. And finally he says, okay. And I love, you know, he had mentioned because his ego was filled up because Facebook is doing so well or the Facebook. And so he, that's the first thing he told her. And as he's walking away, her parting line is good luck with your video game. (laughs) (laughs) And one other thing to say about the scene is that Eduardo has been watching from a distance, but he couldn't hear what's happening. Hey, that was great. That was the right thing to do. You apologized, right? If she had let him talk to her, was he going to apologize? What was he going to say? I don't think it would have been an apology in how we would conventionally think of an apology. I think it would be a apology, non-apology, which is, he would try to apologize, but then when she became defensive about it, he would immediately revert back to being defensive and be just as cutting and insulting. It would have never gone well. Is totally as at the end of the day. That's what I think too. Yeah. So, so you guys think that Zuckerberg wouldn't have said, "I'm really sorry." He, I, I think John's totally. I think he would have said a thing that he thought was an apology. I'm sure you guys have had that apology. And yeah, and, yeah. And then eventually she would have said something that would have been cutting back to him and then he would have been defensive and he would have said snarky shit right back to her and he would have been right back where he started at the beginning having pissed away the second opportunity to try to make it up to her. So, yeah. On, yeah, on one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, there's a part of me that just thinks that look at this effect that Erica has on Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe he would have really apologized. Because look at look at what this breakup inspires him to do in the first place. Yeah. Look at the effect of that breakup by the end of the film when he keeps refreshing, you know, we're getting way ahead of ourselves to see if she'll accept his friend request. Yeah. So Here. I agree, you're probably right. He would have done his version of an apology, which probably would have been more insulting, pissing her off even more, sending him off into the night just as inspired as he is now, uh, you know, saying we have to expand. And and by the way, 
that's exactly what he does. Right. He right. is he is jilted uh, in his attempt to offer whatever po- apology he thinks he's going to give. And what does he do to get himself back, get his confidence back? Uh, he goes back to the one thing he knows, which is the Facebook, and says to Savern, "We, we got to expand. Like that's it. You know, we're full full speed ahead." So you think, and I and I agree that the the choice that moment of we got to expand is directly connected to mm. Erica and yeah. his her rejection of him. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the construct of the movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, well and that's exactly what I was going to say next because. What th- and this is why this—it's a great movie, but this is why this really does bug me because it is so clear in the movie that him being rejected by this girl and his feelings of inadequacy are what drive him to make the decisions that he makes. Mm-hmm. That's central to the film. Absolutely. Mark Zuckerberg met Priscilla Chan, the woman who would become his wife, yeah. between Face Smash and being brought up in front of the ad b- board. But before Facebook was launched, they he started dating the woman that he fell in love with, who he's still married to today, before Facebook was even launched. So this whole Erica plot, like, and even him hooking up with the girls. Now, I don't know that he did or didn't hook up with girls. I don't know anything about his relationship with Priscilla Chan, and I don't know if there's ups and downs or anything. But he was in a relationship at this time in his life, you know? And so the idea of him is this lonely nerd desperate for this one woman's approval. That is not true. You know, right. right. That is invented by Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. As most based on true events, movies invent their now, actual- is there. Is there a yeah. correlation at this point in this film? Is there a moment of citizen Kane that serves as a parallel for this moment? I would say it's the opposite. I then this is just off the top of my head that you're asking this question. Mm. But th- this the opposite moment for Kane is finding Susan Alexander. Is that it's his pursuit, it's actually his pursuit of this woman and trying to turn her into something that she's not, rather than his eject- rejection by the, a woman that is one of the things that leads to Kane's downfall. That's my initial thought. Uh, I agree with that. I, I think that uh you know, in some ways, this moment is basically the uh, breakfast table scene between Kane and his first mm-hmm. wife, mm. and that that final shot of them reading competing newspapers. Uh, you know, that sends him off in a in a in a, in a different direction that That's leads true. to a downfall. Um, in this yeah. case. You know, for Zuckerberg, uh, you know his his soul was already kind of corrupted from the beginning, where Keynes was not. Uh, it's a it's a more dramatic arc for Kane than it is for Zuckerberg. But this moment, these two moments uh, between Citizen Kane and Social Network are kind of like plot points that serve to throw the protagonists, if you will, into a, a direction where they become, uh, I would say, further corrupted. I, I could see the wheels turning in the mind of John Roca right now. It's like so much I can see that you're, you're, you want to say. Um, well, it, it's a it's a great question because I don't know if I can find a correlative moment, but I can, you know, I'm like processing so many things right now because Thatcher is essentially the Winklevi for Kane. Oh yeah, totally. And the I there is there is no real Bernstein for. Uh, Zuckerberg, unless you count the kid from, as I said earlier, from Jurassic Park. But I, 
it's, I don't know, but I think Scott is nails it here in a way. Like he's inspired to go do this because of what happens in that situation with at the end of the breakfast. And so he's, they're both let down in those moments by the women they care about because they can't control the women they care about. So they replace that love by going back to the thing they know and uh, being doubly uh, or redoubling their efforts to create something even bigger and control more to replace the control they can't have over the women they care about. So you can make that connection for sure. I think. So I, I, Scott, when we started this out, you obviously, you know, brought up this Citizen King comparison, and we all agreed that Erica is Rosebud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to change my answer a little bit on that. Okay. Because Rosebud is a symbol of something else. Mm-hmm. Erica is not a symbol of anything. I think the, the connection actually is to what Rosebud is a symbol to, which is Kane's mother, is that... The one thing Charles Foster Kane lost was this love or this something. I mean, the relationship with his mom is really fucking weird, but that's the thing he's trying to plead. He's always, there's something that he's driving for that can never be satisfied because his mom's dead. He can never have this thing. And Erica is the thing that he can never have, which Rosebud is a symbol of, Mm -hmm. but it isn't actually the thing. The thing is childhood and his mother and that home and all that's whatever that stuff is you know what i mean yeah. but well well rose you know the sled you know spoiler alert <laughs> uh, <laughs> the sled represents a lot of things i think you're right steve absolutely that it's uh this uh lost relationship with his mother it's loss of innocence his loss uh of his of his childhood yeah. and something he will never get back and yes. Erica is the sled. She's yeah. he's never going to get her back. Yep. I he's no, I agree. Get her back. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, we're back in the dorm, and the first thing is is that and Mark's on fire right now, given orders, and he gives away the percentages, including that Eduardo's going to get 30%. And we list the schools that we're going to expand into. And then Eduardo says And Stanford. What? Stanford. It's time for them to see this in Palo Alto. Obviously a huge step. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there, the Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Steve, and as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. 
And then we have a scene with Rashida Jones, and this is like the check-in scene. You know, she's been sitting essentially as an extra through most of the depositions, and he talks to her for a moment. She introduces herself as she's in a second-year associate. What are you doing? Checking in to see how it's going in Bosnia. Bosnia. They don't have roads, but they have Facebook. <laughs> Which, you know, is an amazing thing. Because this yeah. isn't that long after Facebook is launched when this deposition's happening. Right. And then she says, and I think this is a telling moment, and I'm curious if you think what Mark says here is true. You must really hate the Winklevosses. I don't hate anybody. The Winklevi aren't suing me for intellectual property theft. They are suing me because for the first time in their lives, things didn't work out the way they were supposed to for them. Does Mark hate the Winklevoss twins? Yes, Mark hates the Winklevoss twins, but he is not going to admit that to Rashida Jones. He's not going to say, yeah, God, I hate those guys. He's, he's, good. he's trying to justify his, you know, what he did and his defense by saying, no, you know, they're just pissed off because something didn't go their way. But no, I absolutely think he hates. He, hate, he hated them the minute, the moment he met them because of the way they treated him. Hmm. That was never like, like a, there was never a chance for him to like them. To, to turn into a hatred. Like he was like the moment they, they, they the way they treated him that for that first meeting, uh, it was, he was like, fuck you guys. You know, <laughs> who do you think you're talking to? You have no idea who you're talking to and you're going to find out the hard way. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I can see Scott's point certainly very clearly. Um, I think I'm more in the camp of like, he has to actually see them as being able to affect his life in order to con- like construct hate for them. And I think he, you know, I think he believes he doesn't hate. How about that? That's a better answer. I think he believes that he doesn't hate them because he has to believe that he is better than them and they don't affect his life. But maybe Scott's right at 3 a.m. And, and when he's by himself and having the thought about those guys, he indulges in a little bit of anger towards those guys, but would never admit it because it would admit that they could actually affect him. Which is something he doesn't want them to yeah, know. It, it, if he admits that he hates them, that. then that's a motive that could affect his standing in the deposition. So exactly. I, I, I don't think he's being not not for one minute do I think he's being honest with her. I totally agree with both of you, and I also think this is in a weird way another connection to Kane because Charles Foster Kane is putting out some bullshit about who he is that mm-hmm. is not true. That uh, uh, there's all this pain inside of them that he's denying. There's all these desires that he's denying. And I think Mark is the same thing. I think Mark is pretending to be this impervious person. But, uh, you know, the Erica thing, the Phoenix Club thing, there's all this stuff that's telling us, the Winklevoss twins, that he is not. He's filled with, he's motivated by anger and by shame and regret and desire and isolation and loneliness, which is a lot of the things that motivate Charles Foster Kane, frankly. (laughs) Um, We're back with Divya and the Winklevoss twins. And Divya, who I think I called Davia for like half of our last episode, it pissed me off every fucking time. I heard it while I was editing. And even thought about magically trying to change it, <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't go Davia. to that adventure level of craziness. Um, Davia said that <laughs> Divia, Divia says uh, basically we find out they're expanding, and again it's the it's the same argument with I think Cameron being the calmer one, Tyler wanting to go after him, and I love one of Cameron's responses. 
He says, no, because you're not thinking about how it's going to look. How is it going to look? Like my brother and I are in skeleton costumes chasing the karate kid around a high school gym. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a it's a it's a metaphor, you know, directed perfectly at my age, you know, and a movie that I love. But I do love that. Um, and they start talking about whether or not he violated Massachusetts law, or federal law or the quote unquote Harvard student code. And then they say we're going to Summers. But you can't get a meeting with Larry Summers. And the arrogance and entitledness of Vic's next line. My brother and I, we pay tuition at this school. We carry a 3.9 GPA at this school. We won trophies for this school. And we'll be rowing in the Olympics for this school. I want a meeting with the goddamn president of this school. Dicks. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally. Privilege. That's privilege right there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, again, it's a perfect kind of you know storytelling in the cut. We hear, why Stanford? Why do you think? Hmm. And we cut to <laughs> a woman getting up out of bed. Uh, which is Dakota Johnson, Dakota and it's, Johnson. it's yep. Stanford is 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 written very uh, very obviously on her body in one area. Yeah, takes place it, of a graphic. <laughs> exactly, and it's so funny. So this is you know the introduction of Sean Parker and Justin Timberlake, and this is if you want to go see a master class of getting a bunch of exposition out in an entirely charming and fun scene. This this one's it. It's yeah. perfect Sorkin dialogue. It's totally fun. It's a ton of exposition about who Sean Parker is. Yeah. And it goes by effortlessly. And didn't Aaron Sorkin rip rip off himself with this scene, Steve? Because I know you're a big West Wing fan. Oh, is this, you know what? I didn't look it up. Is this an example of him using some of his Sorkinisms? I don't know. Is, For sure what, what's it the is. rip off? I, I, I've always seen, uh, you know, the West Wing I, like I, I watched it a lot at the beginning and I just sort of like, you know, phased out of it. Not because I didn't like the show. I just, you know, got busy with life or whatever. Yeah. Um, the moment you meet Rob Lowe's character in the very first episode of the West Wing, isn't he like with a woman and, and she yeah, doesn't really sl know. He slept with, yeah. Oh. Yeah. He does, she doesn't know who he is. And then she finds out like, as he's like walking out the door, which is exactly what happens with Dakota Johnson's character and uh, right. like Sean Parker. That is the very it's it's right at the opening of the pilot of the of the West Wing. Yeah, there you go. Point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I got a quick story um, yes. for those who aren't, you know, uh, listeners of of my stuff from like the Schmodown or Collider stuff. I pitched a show at Collider that I did for a little while called The Deep Cut, where I got to interview people uh, who were not going to be interviewed on the main shows, but I felt were worthy of time that we could talk with them. Well, Don Johnson had a film coming out, a real like straight to DVD type of thing. <laughs> but I took that as an opportunity to pitch him an hour of conversation. And so we talked about everything, like Miami Vice, everything, his whole career, heartbeat. We talked about everything. It was a great conversation. Halfway through the conversation though, because he was one of my first guests. So I was kind of super nervous about how to talk with him, but he's a very nice guy, incredibly nice guy. And he mentioned Dakota in passing about something. Uh, or no, he, he you know, because she was coming up. And so I'd asked him about it. And I said, and I just had to mention, oh, that's right. Yes, your daughter. That's right. She was in um, uh, the social network and she was wearing those cute panties. And he goes, <laughs> hey, slow down, guy. Slow oh, down. Hell. It was a hilarious. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I just kind of said that. Didn't oh, <laughs> he was so funny with it because, I mean, the man is the man's a boatman. So he understands. So but in that moment, it was so funny to have him go wow. slow it down now. And he's laughing as he says it. 
but it was such an awkward, funny, incredible, interesting. You were just being instinctively red blooded yeah. male, you know, having a yeah. conversation yeah. about a hottie in panties, forgetting that it's this guy's daughter. <laughs> that is hilarious. A, that is hilarious. And can oh. I reveal that I embarrassingly was this years old when I found out that Dakota Johnson was Don Johnson's daughter? Oh my God. You I mean never knew that. Oh, no, wow. never knew that. Right till right now, or when right now, know? this second. Oh my oh god! My god. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, it's so funny. There's, there's, it's just the, it is to use an Aaron Sorkin quote. The sheer tonnage of the things I don't know would would what is he? What did he say? Stun a team of oxen is a line from the West Wing. I mean, there's so much stuff I don't know, and that was one of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, it was an interesting exchange. Right. <laughs> but by the way, m- most people were against Justin Timberlake being cast in the oh, movie. Oh yes, I remember that actually. Yeah, and part of it was they just thought the 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 rock starness, the charisma yeah. of him would overwhelm the character that it would be you would just feel like you were watching Justin Timberlake because he's such a big star yeah he came in and auditioned he auditioned I think mostly with actually with the restaurant scene not the scene but that as soon it was like when they saw Jesse Eisenberg for the first time they're like oh this is it this is exactly it I think that the character of Sean Parker as played by Justin Timberlake might be the most charismatic character that I dislike in any movie ever. I mean, he is so charismatic and charming in all sorts of ways. And I, and, and I do not like him. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, I, I hate him more than the Vinkelvi. I, I, I think he's, I think I'm on Eduardo's side. Like I, you need someone and it's smart again, very smart writing here by Sorkin. Just when Zuckerberg is veering into antagonistic territory as your main character as your essentially as your essential protagonist he presents a new antagonist here's sean parker who indulges um zuckerberg's impulses for more to do things like and turn everything into a a college dorm party instead of the more straight-laced thing that eduardo was pitching and so he comes in and he's kind of like the devil on his shoulder yeah yeah do that yeah do that let's do that and uh, it causes the fracture here between these two friends. But yeah, he's I hate him through the whole movie. One of the I, most superficial, selfish uh, users that you'll ever see in life. I, I, so first of all, I remember that sort of controversy when, yeah. when Timberlake was cast as Sean Parker. Yeah. But I remember having the gut reaction of like, oh, that's perfect. Because, you know, I'm not the biggest like in sync fan. I'm not the biggest fan of his music, but I certainly knew who Justin Timberlake was in a, a very, very big way. And I thought that he was perfectly cast as yeah. Sean Parker. And I think that Sean Parker remains to this date the best role, the best performance that Timberlake has ever given on the big screen. And I remember he really, really, really wanted to get nominated for an Academy Award for supporting actor. Sorry, but if uh, you know Andrew Garfield didn't get nominated, you know, <laughs> sorry, JT, you're not getting nominated either. No but to say that I hate him, okay, well, hate is a strong word, as we all know. Mm. Um, I think I feel the same way about Parker that I do about Zuckerberg. Oh, okay. I admire his confidence, especially in the bar. You know, the way he's just like warming up to Zuckerberg, saying all the right things, 
having this confidence that Zuckerberg doesn't think he has. Uh, thinks he, he he doesn't think he has that confidence, but he actually does. Mm-hmm. He's selling himself short. But it's just like with Zuckerberg, where you know I don't really don't like this guy very much, but I sure do love the level of of you know actor to character performance. Mm-hmm. You know when it, when an actor you know gets a role that they were born to play, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that Timberlake as Sean Parker. You know, say what you want about the character himself. Uh, I do like watching him act as this character. And this is a fascinating person, Sean Parker, not not just uh, Justin Timberlake, um, who I'm sure would be fascinating if we all hung, hung out <laughs> with him. But uh, Sean Parker, I mean, to say that Napster changed the world is not an exaggeration. This is a guy who, as a kid, invents Napster, completely transforms the music industry, becomes this huge thing that the record companies and Apple computers and all these people are focusing on that leads to the way the music industry works today. Without Napster, that transformation doesn't happen. And what's crazy about it is after doing this huge thing, he ends up completely broke with everybody suing him, which is part of what we find out in the scene. There's not a lot of money in free music, even less when you're being sued by everyone who's ever been to the Grammys. So he's this weird sort of insider slash outsider, a famous person in the tech industry who isn't really part of the tech industry and who's not rich you know uh dakota goes off to take a shower while he jumps on her computer a lot of people jump on other people's computers in this movie <laughs> i don't remember <laughs> yeah the point like did yeah uh, but he jumps on her computer and there is where he sees facebook and you know, does this weird thing about screaming that there's a snake in order to get her to come back out which again is really funny yeah after you passed out last night i went on the facebook for a little bit what's that the facebook Stanford's had it for like two weeks now. It's really awesome, except it's freakishly addictive. Seriously, I'm on the thing like five times a day. And you could almost see the light bulb go up above Sean Parker's head. And he says, I just need to find you, Mark Zuckerberg. So is it fair to say that Parker's experience with the whole Napster thing is what created iTunes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Then there you go. Right. Right. He may, I mean, not, if you, he, he may not have gotten rich off of that experience, but he certainly did change the way that uh, what the, the music business for sure. I can remember because I'm such an Apple geek mm. and I watched all the Steve Jobs keynote and I can remember what Jobs was saying. And the thing he was saying about selling music at 99 cents a track is he kept saying, it's not stealing anymore. It's good karma. Because Napster was stealing music. Right? Yeah. So this was a way that you could download music, but money was still going to the artists and it wasn't stealing. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. You know, Parker is an interesting cat cause he's a Virginia boy. And, um, I did a lot of reading on him when Napster was coming up. I mean, his, he's like a tiger woods type of guy. His dad, like taught him how to code and at eight years old, he taught oh, wow. him how to do this kind of stuff. He, like they built an Atari. Uh, together and it's just like and then from that he kind of learned this stuff and then in school he was coding all the time in high school and ended up convincing them to give him like credit for foreign language by coding and that's how he got some of Mm. that credentials in high school but he was launching uh little mini businesses and little things like that from like high school on uh so yeah and the guy he founded napster with they met when they were kids 15 and 14 years old teenagers and then Mm -hmm. down the then when he was at the other kid was at northwestern they because he never went to college this guy they 
constructed Napster. So he was a guy who was constantly creating stuff and constantly builds, constantly launching businesses. Um, and I wonder how much of that Timberlake like kind of installed in himself as an actor to find those levels. So you have those things going on that you're never going to speak on camera, but they're playing inside of you if you've constructed the character correctly. So, yeah, I like, you know, it just occurred. It never occurred to me until this moment that, uh, that I wonder what Justin Timberlake and NSYNC thought of Napster because they're at the same point. You know, the irony. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go meet the president of Harvard, Larry Uh Summers. Love to see who is played by Douglas Urbanski. This, it's such brilliant casting. And he was not really an actor, didn't act very much. He was at that time, the uh, a manager and he managed Gary Oldman. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And so there are the casting people are pitching all these people. I think Alfred Molino was one of the actors that was pitched. There was just, mm. you know, like they're pitching all these people and Fincher's like, no, I want, Doug, I want um, Douglas Urbanski. That's who I want. And they're like, why do you want that? And then he calls up Urbanski, and I guess he knew him because, you know, he's a well-known sort of figure. Right. And and Urbanski's like, well, why don't you take Gary Oldman? He's my client. You can have him. Why? He's like, no, I want you. Yeah. And he went on to be a, he said, Academy Award-nominated producer. He produced mm. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. He oh, produced nice. The Contender. But the other thing is he is a well-known conservative who would frequently sub for uh, – O'Reilly, he would sub for Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> um, and I think this scene is totally amazing. Um, and he is so dismissive of them as they're saying, like, we we need Harvard to come after Zuckerberg. He's like, why? Why would I do why would I do that? Why why are you here? You know, and I love his like little turns to the his receptionist or whatever going. It's like, how did they get this meeting? Could you punch me in the face? Like all of that stuff is so funny. I'm sorry, President Summers, but what you just said makes no sense to me at all. I'm devastated by that. What, what my brother means is if Mark Zuckerberg walked into our dorm room and, and stole our computer, that would be a university I issue. I really don't know. This office doesn't handle petty larceny. This isn't petty larceny. Right. This idea is potentially worth millions of dollars. Millions? Yes. And Larry Summers is just like, come on. And I, I get it too. Like, I, you know, you have students, I had students come to me saying this movie idea, this is going to be a billion dollar movie. And I'm like, yeah, probably not. You know, that's probably not true. You might just be letting your imaginations run away with you. Sir, I honestly don't think you're in any position to make that call. And his response is great. I was the U.S. Treasury Secretary. I'm in some position to make that call. And they keep arguing with him? You don't have to be an intellectual property expert to understand the difference between right and wrong. And you're saying that I don't. And I love the two brothers at this moment because they speak at the same time. Of course I'm not saying that, sir. I'm saying that. And then what we find out is the reason they got this appointment is because you know, connections because, because of their dad. Throughout all of this with the, with the, with the Winklevoss twins, uh, every step of the way they're exerting their, their perceived privilege, mm-hmm. even though, I mean, you could argue that they definitely did get screwed, but they're, mm-hmm. they, they do themselves in by their privilege. You know, they do themselves in because like everyone watching is not going to side with them because they're going to be like, you know, you get what you deserve, you know, you smug, self-absorbed, pompous assholes. Um, but, you know, you take all that away and I, I don't know, I, I, I kind of feel sorry for these guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're 100% right, Scott. I think this is a fantastic scene that shows you these two and they're, look, they're college students, they're kids. Yeah. In comparison to, you know, we're old men, like those guys, they're kids compared to us. Yeah. And so seeing them, you one, and I think this is a great 
example yet again of how um, absolutely impossible it is to tell that these are two separate. This is one actor. They're such separate entities in the room, the two different Winklevoss characters that you're just you cannot believe this is one person doing it. I know it's amazing right? it's amazing Army does such a great job each character is itself each brother is its own person and reacts to these uh back and forths differently in the whole situation i think is masterful but this is showing you that these kids tried to go a certain route tried to go the, by the book and it wasn't going to work for them and their perceived privilege was thrown back in their face by someone who also exerts his privilege at the end because he has no fucking clue. They're actually right. He has no fucking clue because he's old money. He has yeah. no idea what new tech is going to do and how it's going to blow up and leave him in a dinosaur tar pit. He has no <laughs> idea. And so they're actually right. And what the scene does is make you feel sympathy for the Vinkovoss twins. So again, this is these are the things that make this film such a masterful genius of a film because you're constantly shifting allegiances throughout the movie with all of these characters. I think Succession currently is doing that so well as well. These are not likable people, except for maybe Eduardo. But in those, but you find yourself like feeling for them throughout the whole movie. And I think it's genius. I I I totally agree, and and I, I want to say the opposite side of something I said earlier, which is you know we talked about like when we formed these podcasts that we're doing together, we wanted them to be great. These are going to be the greatest things ever. Yeah. That's always been my attitude, and it's always been, so. From the very first like comic book I tried to write with my friend Jeff, I thought that was going to be the greatest Nightwing Batman story ever made, mm. and it wasn't. And every play that I did, every, you know, it's like always like this is going to be the greatest thing and had these ambitions. And guess what? None of them were like most of the time, particularly as a young person in college, if you're starting a project with somebody, your ambitions might be huge. But most of the time, they never fucking go anywhere. And so on the one hand, I agree with Larry Summers. This is like the the fact that they're right about the value of this. In fact, they're really wrong about it because they have no idea how much more valuable this thing is going to become. Well, fair, right. You know, but, but, but like, it's actually, you know, the norm is like you and your buddy decide to build a website and then it goes nowhere, you know, and it dies, Yeah, you know, or have a brief moment of success and it goes nowhere. By the way, this meeting really did happen. They really did meet with Larry Summers. Apparently he called the twins assholes and made fun of them for wearing suits to the meeting. Wow. So that's the, the, the scene is not that far off the mark. I don't think so. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> and now we hear about that over spring break, they went to New York City for the purpose of finding advertisers. And we get to cut to a scene with Aaron Sorkin, <laughs> whose claims he did not want to be in the movie. And <laughs> He's great. He's great. He's totally great. And Mark is showing an unbelievable amount of disrespect in this scene. Oh, he's it's it, like he does in every scene, really. Yeah, uh, I would say this one's even more. <laughs> Just making weird noises in the middle of a meeting, uh, and then we hear there's one more meeting scheduled for the trip. It was a dinner. By the way, this was shot in a art gallery in L.A. Uh, and first we have Eduardo, Christy, uh, Brenda Song, and Mark waiting because the person they're supposed to meet with hasn't shown up yet. He's 25 minutes late. He founded Napster when he was 19. He can be late. He's not a god. And what is he? He's 25 minutes late. I think we're just jealous. I honestly wasn't jealous. 
I think this conflict, relationship, antagonism between Sean Parker and Eduardo is like the next central core of the movie. Mm-hmm. Eduardo is super jealous of of Parker because his partner is Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. And Zuckerberg is looking at Parker with these like googly eyes because Parker is just displaying this uh, this business acumen effortlessly that Saverin lacks effort fully. You know what I mean? Like he he's just no he just can't compare to this guy and he knows it. And he sees the way that Zuckerberg is reacting to Parker and he's just like, I'm not that guy and I know it. And so in sweeps, Sean Parker, Justin Timberlake, as I mentioned, this was the scene he auditioned with. Here was David Fincher's direction to him for the scene. He said, I don't want it to feel just like you have eaten at this restaurant. I want you it to feel like not only do you own this restaurant, but you invented the idea of this restaurant. <laughs> That's how you should come into this space, which he does. I mean, like the, what he does in this performance, and like I said, the 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 charisma and the charm and everything that's coming at you in this scene is amazing. And yet, I also don't like Sean Parker. <laughs> Christy, what do you like to drink? An appletini. Great. Four of those. Apparently, Justin Timberlake hates appletinis, <laughs> and since wow. this movie, people will buy him appletinis because. And so he's and so he's cursed with people buying him appletinis for the rest of his life because of this scene. I love appletinis. <laughs> they're a little on this. They're a little sweet for me, but they are very, very tasty and yeah. and dangerous because you'll just keep drinking them. From that point on, it was a shonathon. The music is pounding, and martinis are coming, and mostly we're not even hearing what he's saying. Uh, And and then we get to, I think, what a key thing for Sean is and a key warning sign for Mark, which is the disrespect shown to the young creator by the establishment. And I wanted to do it nice this time. I put on a tie and I shine my shoes, but nobody wants to take orders from a kid. So let me tell you what happens to a 20-year-old at the top of a hot.com. We also hear Sean's what might be paranoia or what might be the truth, which is... They'll hire private detectives who will follow you day and night. You're a target for high-priced escorts. I can't prove it, but I know they tap my phones. Whatever it is that's going to trip you up, you've done already. My guess is this is both paranoia and the truth. That's mm. my guess about yeah. it. By the way, Andrew Garfield's reactions to all of this is just, they're all fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And then Mark gives a strategy for how they took down one school, which is that they basically put Facebook on all, all the schools around it until everyone was so jealous that they had to get it on Baylor. It's called the little Bitcoin. That's smart, Mark. Oh, thanks. That was my... <laughs> I think it's a great moment. I don't know if there is such a thing as a business move called the little big horn or if that's just something Aaron Sorkin made up. But I love, A, the appreciation from Sean directed at Mark and the jealousy of Eduardo saying that was mine. And that's just so key to all their relationships. And don't discount the fact, and this occurred to me when I was watching it this time around, that Sean knows that. This oh, is, great see, point. To me, I think Sean has come in to separate him, separate Eduardo from mark i agree 100 percent. yes absolutely right i think sean wants to take eduardo's place he's probably assessed the situation reached out to the people he knows that may know this relationship and gotten the dirt that he needs and knows where to poke the week because i mean being successful in business ain't about holding hands you got to figure out who your competitor is and if you want to get in with somebody 
You got to figure out where the weak spots are so you can find your way and make yourself invaluable. But while you're saying inside the company, make yourself invaluable. And I think that's what you see Eduardo doing here. I think, or uh, um, Sean doing here. I think he knows who, what Eduardo's contributed, not contributed to the whole situation. And I think he knows exactly how to play Mark. He knows exactly how to play. He knows exactly how to play Mark. He sees Saverin as dead weight. He needs to be, yep. got to cut him loose. But it's, of course, it's not that simple. You right. know, you got to cut this guy loose who goes to Harvard uh, and is supposedly intelligent in a way where he won't see it coming until it's too late. Right. So he's, he, you're, I agree with you 100%, Johnny. He's, uh, he's, he sees a place for himself with Zuckerberg, with Facebook. And in addition to, you know, gaining Zuckerberg's trust, he's plotting his move to cut Saverin free. Mm-hmm. It's funny that his big resentment is being a young entrepreneur and being mistreated by, but and dismissed by the establishment. And that's what he's going to do to Eduardo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I, I will say something now. And a lot of this is based on research about what really went down. Mm-hmm. A, there is no Facebook without Sean Parker. Right. They're just, he, he is so right about so, it seems like he was kind of a mad genius who flew in and at critical moments throughout the first several years of Facebook made one decision or made one connection or gave one piece of advice that set the direction of Facebook that it wouldn't have happened without it. Right. And I'll also say, and again, this is based on things that I know that aren't in the movie. Yeah. They are, Mark is a hundred percent right to dump Eduardo. Mm. I think he is 100% wrong in the way it's done. I think it's horrible and unethical and fucking terrible. But Eduardo was not the guy that was going to take Facebook where it needed to go. And that was that's the reality. But in this moment, and I love the way this is written in this scene, which is that after this moment where Eduardo feels a little bit cut down with the little bighorn moment, he says, hey, you know what, settle an argument for us. I say it's time to start making money from the Facebook, but Mark doesn't want to advertise you. Who's right? Neither of you get. And then he proceeds to completely say that Mark is right. Yeah. And the writing is so brilliant, and I'm going to play it, because what he does is play perfectly into what Mark believes about Facebook and reinforces what we heard in that previous scene. And and you hear Jesse Eisenberg's little exactly's in the background are so great, and I'm now going to play it. The Facebook is cool. That's what it's got going for it. Yeah. You don't want to ruin it with ads because ads aren't cool. Exactly. It's like you're throwing the greatest party on campus and someone saying it's got to be over by 11. That's exactly right. You don't even know what the thing is yet. How big it can get, how far it can go. This is no time to take your chips down. Eduardo kind of sits back knowing he's lost. I love that whole moment. It's just such a seduction of Mark. It's done so perfectly. You're literally watching watching Zuckerberg slip through Saverin's fingers. Mm-hmm. Yep, like you're, exactly. you're watching it happen in real time in this in this scene. And then we hear, and of course there's music playing and pounding throughout the scene. He's and and Sean says, A million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? You. And there's a pause. And you see Justin Timberlake's lips start to form the next line. And then the music cuts out. We leave the scene entirely. We go to the deposition where Eduardo says, A billion dollars. What a cut. What a cut. That's a great cut. What what I think part of what it works on is that in the trailer, Justin Timberlake says the line. Hmm. So if you watch the trailer multiple times, you heard him say a million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. So I think that got programmed in your brain a little bit from seeing the trailer because that trailer was huge. And then 
you see it this way with that cut and it hits even harder. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I, I I forgot that in the trailer, it was uh, Parker yeah. who says it. And that's where you're headed. A billion dollar valuation. Unless you take bad advice, in which case you may as well have come up with a chain of very successful yogurt shops. And who is the bad advice he's referring to going to come from? It's Eduardo. Yeah. Uh, and I love this metaphor where he talks about someone holding up a fish. You ever walk into a guy's den and see a picture of him standing next to 14 trout? No, he's holding a 3,000 pound marlin. Yep. And then we get in discussions about how big a marlin can be. And I know all the cinephiles out there listening are wondering how big a marlin can be. And the answer is the largest marlin ever caught was 1,376 pounds. Wow. So wow. That is the answer to that Jesus. question. Jesus. That's a strong bowl. And I love the way he handles the end of it. I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm just a fan who came to say hi. Have you, any, you ever heard anything like less true than that line? Oh, at the yeah, end of absolute scene? bullshit. No way. Yeah, he's got it. He, he doesn't have a dog in the fight, but he wants to put his dog <laughs> in the pen. <laughs> he owned Mark after that dinner. He picked up the check. He told Mark they'd talk again soon, and he was gone. But not before he made his biggest contribution to the company. He's walking away, and he just turns around, and he says, Drop the the. Just Facebook. It's cleaner. And then he turns back and he walks away. What what a what an awkward moment for Sean Parker. And what an awkward moment for Timberlake in this part. It's he's perfect. And A, that's true. It's Sean Parker's uh, suggestion to drop the the from the Facebook to become just Facebook. B, he they really did have this dinner. I think the level of influence is exaggerated a little bit of Sean Parker at this time. But what I will say, Parker was totally broke. He overdrew his bank account to pay for this dinner. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, this guy is just pretending well. Like he got from the fall of Napster until the rise of Facebook. He's just pretending to be a wealthy player. Yeah. He's totally broke. <laughs> well, it's um, it's dress for dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we're in the cab leaving. And by the way, this scene was originally supposed to be shot at the restaurant. It was like Sean Parker leaves. And then we have this scene. And this is where, you know, daylight and time and schedule and budget sometimes dictates creative choices. They spent so much time with Fincher's, you know, take after take after take shooting the restaurant scene. They didn't have time to film the end. And so Fincher just says to Sorkin, can we shoot this in a cab? And Sorkin was like, it ended up being so much better rewritten to be in the back of a car than it would have been if they were still at the restaurant. So what do you think? Yeah, sure, let's drop the thing. I meant catching the marlin instead of the 14 trout. Doesn't that sound good? If you're a trout. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to need more money, Marno. Yeah, no, I agree. More servers, more help. I'm interviewing two interns to come to Palo Alto, and we're going to have to pay them something. When did you decide to go to California for the summer? You mean, when did I actually decide? Somewhere in the middle of the Sean Parker variety hour. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut to, as we've heard that we got to get these interns, we hear this huge amount of cheering, and Eduardo walks into this space where there is a crazy drinking contest slash coding contest going on. By the way, the shirt that Mark is wearing in this scene is from a theater company that Jesse Eisenberg had worked with. It is the only shirt in the movie, I believe, worn by the character of Mark Zuckerberg that hadn't actually been worn by the real Mark Zuckerberg. That hadn't been, every single shirt he's wearing except this one was one where there's a photo they found of Mark Zuckerberg in his younger days and they found the exact shirt for Jesse Eisenberg to wear. Amazing. That's detail, man. Attention to detail. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And what we find out is they're just, it's whoever can code and drink 
and there's such a, and I think this has been mythologized and now is just a huge thing of this nerd bro culture that this is a part of that we're seeing here, the drinking, partying, coding, working thing. And then we hear that he needs $18,000 to get through the summer. In addition to the $1,000 you'd already put up. Yes. A total of $19,000 now. Yes. Hang on. I'm just checking your math on that. Yes. I got the same thing. That is David Fincher's favorite line in the film. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Again, according to Wikipedia, they both put up $18,000. Oh, Mm. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And when we get into some other money stuff, this it's very misleading what happens in this film. I wanted to be a team player. I figured Mark, Dustin, and the new interns could work on the site while I was generating advertiser interest in New York. But mostly I figured, how much could possibly go wrong in three months? Cut to a zip line attached to a chimney leading into a pool. Uh, they really did, in, in the first Facebook house, hook up a zip line to a chimney Jeez. in Palo Alto. And I believe they really did break the chimney. And they all lived at the house? They all lived at the house. It's absolutely true. Uh, This was shot in the San Fernando Valley. Jesse Eisenberg was terrified of doing this scene because he thought, and maybe it was in the original script, that he was supposed to go down the zipline first. (laughs) And he wasn't scared of doing the zipline. What he was scared of was he had spent this whole movie having to do less and less and less. That was all of Fincher's directions to him Mm -hmm. was do less, do less always. And which was hard for him as an actor, because what he described is you're looking for the emotional moment. You're looking for catharsis and Fincher's not letting him do that. So after he spent months learning how to do less and less and less, he's supposed to do a scene where he's having fun. And he's like, I don't know how Mark Zuckerberg has fun. I don't know how to do the zip line. And like, I don't know what to do. And he shows up at the set and Fincher goes, Oh no, no, you're just going to watch people do the zip line. He's like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> he literally, literally couldn't figure out how to play it. And then of course we see the chimney break and there's a knock on the door. And there is Sean Parker who by coincidence really did live across the street from the Facebook house. It was I, not it's just a total coincidence. I was watching the scene going like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Like he looks right across the street of all the houses yep. they could have lived. I mean, that really happened. That's cool. well, and this is why I don't think it was such a Machiavellian. Sean pulled, you know, Mark across the country. They were planning on going to California anyway. I, it, it was much more this coincidence of being across the street from him that made the bigger difference. Mm-hmm. Wow, I love the performance from Justin Timberlake. Of she goes of introducing the woman he's with. This is my uh, Sharon. Because where he was living in was his ex-girlfriend's parents' house. That's what was across the street to the Mm -hmm. Facebook house. Mm -hmm. Because he's broke. Right, right. Also, just a great bit of he tosses Sean a beer. Then he tries to toss the girl a beer who's not looking and it hits the chimney. And then he does it again and shatters on the glass in front of the camera. I think that's just hilarious and great. (laughs) Where's Eduardo? He got an internship in New York. Eduardo didn't come out. And does just this great, perfect, passive-aggressive head shake, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we have a music and a time-lapse flying over San Francisco, over the Trans-American Pyramid, which is also in Zodiac. Like a similar shot oh, yeah. flying over oh, the city. Oh, okay. And we go into a club. The club is supposed to be Ruby Sky, which was, the you know, the hip, cool place in the early 2000s. Here's the thing about rehearsal, and this just so rang true to me, and it's a it's, it's a thing that I've, I've taught my students is they're sitting at the table doing a rehearsal. 
Justin or, or Jesse and Justin are facing each other and the scene's just not working. Mm. And so Fincher picks, says, okay, get up. And he moves them to the opposite ends of this big rehearsal hall and have them two actors yell the scene across this hall at each other. And suddenly the scene works. And this is, and I'm, I'm sure, I don't remember, John, if I did this with you, but you probably experienced it with other directors of like, just changing the physical circumstance can help an actor find the thing. Oh yeah. It's not, you know. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Like I've had actors like, follow each, you know like chase each other i've moved actors and like let's sit down in a closet and do this scene let's sit let's throw a baseball back and forth and you'll play catch while we'll do the scene just trying to mix it up because actors it, it can be super hard job and actors can get stuck you know mm-hmm. uh and the other thing of course is just like in the scene in the bar uh at the beginning of the movie they did the first several takes with everybody talking and mu- music blaring and I think even when they stopped doing that, they put, um, I think they had monitors in the actor's ear on the off-camera ear. So they're hearing the music as they're doing the scene. Because one of the hard things to do in a totally quiet room, because you want the room to be quiet to record sound, is to have that thing in your voice where you're trying to yell over something at a loud party or a loud bar. It's hard to fake that. And so the fact that they're hearing the music in their ears is helping them to do that thing. Yeah. By the way, Sean Parker, who was broke, still had all his clothes made by Armani. And so <laughs> guess who's made all Justin Timberlake's clothes in this movie? Was oh, Armani. And they're with some girls who leave. And Mark says, Your date looks so familiar to me. She looks familiar to a lot of people. By the way, one of the things they did is, again, normally when you uh, mix sound, you want the dialogue to be up on top. So everyone can you want everyone to understand it. Fincher, what he did was push the music as high as it possibly could. So you're right at the edge of not understanding. And I'm sure you've been at the loud bar where you're talking to someone and you're just like staring at their lips, trying to make sure that you can understand what the hell they're saying. Yep. That's how he wanted this scene to fill. And so one of the things they did when mixing it, and this is just, this is just high level of sound design is what's happening when you're listening to a mix is that if the sound, the music, the sound effects, all the stuff, is that at the same frequency as the voice, it makes the voice very, very hard to hear. So what they did was they took the music and they played it really, really loud, but they pulled down just a little bit the exact frequency of Justin Timberlake and Jesse Eisenberg's voices when they spoke to make just a tiny bit of extra space for their voices to come through so you could understand them. And this actually brings up a question because, you know, we're talking about you know, Fincher wanting to mix this as close as possible so that the music is just at the level where you can barely hear the dialogue. Mm. And this brings up a question is, gentlemen, when you're watching TV at home, do you have the closed captions on? I do now. I do now for everything I watch. Why, John? Uh, Because I've gotten, because as a person who reviews movies and talks about this stuff, I actually, reading the dialogue sometimes can clarify certain things for you in terms of intention or meaning. Um, and also, uh, we watch a lot of British television, so those accents can sometimes be a bit difficult to disseminate. So I've just gotten used to having the captions on for everything. I mean, I watched Star Wars Visions this morning as we we're recording this, and I left the captions on the whole time just so I can be aware of what's being said. So that's why I do it, basically. The reason I just... Love that question, Steve, is because five years ago, I would have said, oh, no, absolutely not. But two things happened. One, my hearing took a turn for the worse. I mean, I still have hearing that's normal, but it's like barely normal. 
I've always had problems with my ears, but my hearing was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But in more recent years, you know, you get older. I mean, you know, welcome to middle age. So (laughs) for certain things, like Johnny, you pointed out, I would listen. I would watch a show with the subtitles on, like The Crown. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like when when I got to watch uh, the Banshees of Innie Sheeran on uh, HBO Max. You know, I'd seen it twice in theaters, but watching it at home with the subtitles on, I was like, so that's what they're saying. Like, <laughs> that is a really hard movie to understand. I feel like oh, yeah. that actually should have been should have been shown in theaters with subtitles on. But the other reason, Steve, is because of Enterprise Incidents. Because right. when I went back and rewatched all these uh, original series Star Trek episodes, there are things I picked up after 50 years that I had no idea, like yeah. what they were actually doing there or what the actual mission was. Like hearing some of the background uh, plot points on why the Enterprise was sort of uh, transporting all these Federation delegates to Babel. You know, I never knew that. Mm. I, I, I never knew that, you know, in the beginning of the Gamesters of Triskelion, the planet that they're in orbit around before, you know, Kirk and Uhura and Chekhov get taken to Triskelion, the name of that planet was Gamma 2. I never knew that. But <laughs> watching it with the subtitles on, I learned something new. And and that is the preferred way to watch things at home for me moving forward. Uh, no matter how articulate and crisp the sound is and the English is, uh, I still watch it with the subtitles now. Why? That's a really good question, Steve. Why do you ask? Well, so I literally just heard a thing a few days ago that it's like up to 60% of adults Mm. have closed captioning on. I have it on all the time. And part of the reason is because of assholes like David Fincher and (laughs) Christopher Nolan who mix their movies this way so that you're right. If you're right on the edge of barely able to understand it and you're growing older, for one thing. You're not going to be able to understand. And how often do you hear like, I couldn't, you know, you watch Tenet and you're like, I didn't know what anyone was saying, you know? And when I went to film school, it was, I, you know, my teacher, David Bondalevich, who was one of my great teachers of all time in sound was like, you mix it and then you listen and then you mix everything lower and bring the voices up. Because one of the problems as an editor or a sound person, you've listened to it over and over again. So you know everything everyone's saying. So you don't have any problem understanding the words and you're kind of bored. So you keep bringing up the music. And it's like, but then the person who's never heard it before can't understand what the people are saying, or they have to strain to understand, you know, and my, I was taught that's not how you do it. Yeah, I was taught, bring it down. But this in this film, they want to bring it up. And this is why, and, I, and part of why I wanted to bring this up is I'm actually doing something because my, my feeling is, is when you're watching a movie, mm-hmm. yes, the words might be hard to hear, but you're seeing their lips move. You're seeing the performance, you're seeing the expression and so you're catching up. But when you're listening to a podcast, you don't have any of those extra clues. Mm. And so what I've been doing, and I started doing this several months ago, mostly with Reservoir Dogs, I started doing it, is the technology's gotten so good. I have a little voice isolation button, and I can isolate the voices and bring down the background sounds. And so throughout this film, in the scene with Erica, and in this scene, I'll bring down the backward sounds. And so I want to play it for you. This is how it actually sounds if you listen to this in the movie. That's how David Fincher originally mixed it. And this is me bringing down the background sounds, hopefully so you can understand the language a little better. A Stanford MBA named Roy Raymond wants to buy his wife some lingerie, but he's too embarrassed to shop for it in a department store. So that's just two ways that these things get mixed. Wow. And so 
Sean Parker tells Mark this story about this guy who basically wanted to buy his wife some lingerie, ends up founding Victoria's Secret, selling it for $4 million. Two years later, the company's worth $500 million, and he commits suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. All of which is true. There's more to the story than that. Yes, but it is. It's a more complicated story, but that all of that is true. Yeah. And I love that Mark goes. Was that a parable? My date's a Victoria's Secret model. That's why she looks familiar to you. And then he says, I read your blog, which which is essentially saying, I know about Erica. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. And because the next thing he says is the girl that he was in love with that was dating the captain of the lacrosse team. And that's why he founded Napster. And then he goes on all of this stuff about what Facebook needs to be about venture capitalists. And it's it, what, what's kind of weird is it's like he wants Mark to be his revenge. So all these people mistreated him. And he says, but not this time. This is our time. This time, you're going you're gonna to hand him a business card that says, I'm CEO, bitch. That's what I want for you. I'm CEO, bitch is so, it's such a childish thing. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like you're saying, I don't want to be treated like a child. And then you're acting like a child. Totally. That's a lot of Sean Parker to me. He's got Zuckerberg wrapped around his finger. As intelligent as Zuckerberg is, you know, Parker's a stud. Well, and right at this moment, what does he ask? Where the hell is Eduardo? Right. So again, he sticks in that little knife in Eduardo's back. Eduardo wants to be a businessman, and for all I know, he's going to be a good one, but he shouldn't be in New York kissing Madison Avenue's ass. This is a once in a generation, holy shit, I and the water under the Golden Gate is freezing cold. It's a great pitch, man. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yep. And by the way, the water under the Golden Gate is cold. It's real cold. It's, Why is it so cold? This, this is one of the funny things about Calif- about people who aren't from California is people who aren't from California think of Los Angeles as California. It's like, yeah. no, it's, it's a big state, man. It's yeah. way up north. It's much further up north. And the Pacific Ocean cold up there <laughs> and then at the end of the scene mark asks Did you ever think about that girl what girl and i think he genuinely has forgot i don't think he does think about that girl but zuckerberg is still thinking about his girl yep he absolutely is he can't stop thinking about her and that's the other thing that impresses him about parker is parker doesn't you know he moved on she's she's history uh, here here's my question I don't know how to ask it because I don't want to ask just does does Sean care at all about Mark? I I guess it's more like, is this true? Is is this is everything Sean's saying a complete line of bullshit to manipulate Mark? Or is everything Sean's saying the actual truth that he that of what he wants, of what he believes? Well, I think there's something you know, we all know, right? It's all about who is doing the delivering of the news, right? So, or of the truth. Hmm. And I think Sean is telling Mark the truth. You need someone who is here 24 seven, who lives and breathes Facebook the way you do. Um, and is willing to be under you. Cause Mark would hate to share credit or right. anything like that. So if he's not willing to do that, he is going to hold it back. And his, his ambition is not at the same level uh, that, that matches your desire, your ambition. So it's not a good mix. He's right. 
but just Sean Parker is the wrong person to be delivering the message. You know, years ago, Jose Canseco is the one who broke the story right. about steroids in baseball, but everybody hated Jose Canseco because he was a glory hound and he was, yeah, he had a few good years, but he also used. So this whole thing of him being the one, it, it sucked, which is why it took a while for it to gain traction. But then eventually more and more people were found out to be using it and it became a massive story. But he wasn't the right messenger. And in the same situation here, Sean's not the, really the right messenger for the situation, mm-hmm. but he's right. Mm-hmm. I think I can feel really shitty for Eduardo <laughs> and be very distrustful of Sean Parker yeah. and think Sean Parker is essentially totally right for, for most of the things he says about Facebook. But here's the thing. Like, Sean Parker is not – like, he's, I think he's being honest. Yeah, like he's not trying to hide anything that he's doing. He's yeah. he goes right in for the kill with with Zuckerberg. Is uh, has no problem showing himself look better than than uh, than Saverin. You know, he's not he's not lying yeah. a, 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 about this at all. He has a vision for what he sees Facebook and Mark becoming, and he is yeah. like, "This is what it should be." Right. Uh, um, shall we go to the Henley Royal Regatta? apparently this is the super bowl of 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 racing that this is a really really big thing and they really really did shoot at the actual henley regatta which was a huge scheduling problem because it was only i don't know it was very close up to the film's actual release date Mm. so they filmed everything else the whole movie is edited they're finishing everything and they're just waiting until july to shoot the regatta um, and they do this technique, it's called miniature faking, and it's a lensing thing that gives this weird sense of almost like you're looking over a model as we come into this space. Mm. I think this race is beautifully done. It is such a tense race for something we know nothing about. I mean, normally, like if you're building to an athletic event, you know, like John, you and I did um, uh, Chariots of Fire yeah. or we did Major League, you're building all the characters who are going to play against each other and building to the event. We had no idea this event was coming. We don't know anything about what's going yeah. on. And yet I'm totally stressed watching this race. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and a big part of that is the music, which is, it's classical music redone by Trent Reznor. It's The Mountain King by Edward Grieg. And f- this was all Fincher's idea. He said, I would like that, but in the style of Wendy Carlos. And Wendy Carlos is a person who played on the Moog synthesizer, which is an early uh, synth. And she did something, her big claim to fame was Switched on Bach, which you can go listen to, which is a, you know, it is it is a synthesizer playing Bach. But then she also did the scores for A Clockwork Orange Ooh. and The Shining. Oh. Um, and if you think of The Shining sort of, boom, like big synth score kind of thing, So Trent Reznor hears that, is thinking about Switched on Bach, and apparently he worked on it for weeks and just says it was the complete wrong direction. Like a month of work, trying to do this thing, got to the end, played it, and just went, this is the worst piece of music I've ever written, and had to start over. But then did figure it out, and I think that the sequence totally works. And And what we see is them right on the edge of winning and just inches behind and they lose. And then we cut to the home of the Big Lebowski or the home of where the bowling alley is and there will be blood or the, the home of Witches of Eastwick or the home, a setting for so many movies. This is the Doheny Man- Mansion in LA. Wow. It, it is in uh, probably 150 films. 
this this location. And everyone is, you know, trying to be nice about their loss. That was a tough beat. I'm sorry that you were moment to fly all the way out here to see no, that. No, don't ever apologize to me for losing a race like that. Don't ever apologize to anyone for losing a race like that. That's sort of the Winklevoss attitude. Yeah. And then someone says that they watched the race on Facebook at Cambridge, which means that they've expanded over to the UK. How do you feel about the Winklevoss twins after this? <laughs> uh, I don't know. They're ready to go now. They're ready to fight, finally. So I kind of feel a little bit like, okay, here we go. We've got the combatants now. Let's get the game on, you know? I mean, I you know what? I, I don't like the Winklevoss twins as portrayed in the movie. I don't really know what they're really like. Right. But I totally get it. If I if this had happened to me, I would be fucking furious too. Yeah, yeah. You know, even though I'm on team Mark in terms of if you were the guys who invented Facebook, then you would have invented Facebook. I totally agree with that. They didn't do the work. But if I shared an idea with someone who said they were going to work on it and then launched their own idea, which is going to make him a millionaire, yeah, I'd be fucking pissed off. Yep. And finally, we convince Cameron to actually go after him. And he says... Screw it. Let's gut the freaking nerd. Yeah, you know, I went from feeling bad for him to not feeling bad for him in a <laughs> snap of a finger. Well, and and to, you know, to, not to jump ahead, but like the the Winklevoss twins are going to be fine. Yeah, <laughs> they're, right. they're, actually, I mean, I mean, frankly, if none of this had happened to them, they would have been fine. <laughs> it's a nice thing about being, you know, the child of a very wealthy family. They're okay. We cut back to the house. Uh, where Parker has now moved in. There are some girls doing massive bong hits. We hear a banging at the door, and there is Eduardo, who has been standing in the rain. See Sean, right there is a reaction. And he also takes in the fact that these girls are, you know, smoking a bong, and every single warning sign is flashing for Eduardo right now. How old are they, Sean? It's not polite to ask. Sean, how old are they? You think you know me. Right. I've read enough. You know how much I've read about you? Nothing. It it is such a a dick measuring moment, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then out comes Mark. Show him the wall. I'm just calling it the wall. Forget the wall. Tell him about the meeting I've got set up. You know Peter Thiel? Nope. No reason you should. He just runs a two billion dollar hedge fund called Clarium Capital. And I can one hundred percent agree with everybody in this scene. Hmm. Because Eduardo is 100% fucking right. He is the CFO, yeah. and this guy is end-running him to set up meetings. Mm -hmm. And Sean Parker is 100% right in that these are the meetings that Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook need to take. That's what they should be doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just wants to be kept in the loop. That's all. And I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. It's just he wanted to be told about it. And I think he's even right to ask to be told about it. Absolutely, he does. He's, he's a co-creator. He's a co-creator. Uh, it's painful to watch what's happening to Saverin. It's yeah. it, it it's painful. It's more painful now than when it when it first came out, at least for me. Mm -hmm. And Saverin was like, you know, he was doing his due diligence with going to business school and like, you know, right. like doing what he should be doing. That's why he went to school. You know, he didn't have the radical uh like all in, even though he was all in, he just was all in in his own way that Zuckerberg has. Yeah. And you know, I just, I just really feel, I really feel for Saverin. Um, you know, he was being shut out of decisions. Uh, and like you said, John, it's like, mm -hmm. Hey, just, just run things by me, you know, include me. I am your partner on this. 
that's the real like the scene what we see is the conflict is between sean and eduardo yeah, yeah. the person responsible and the person who is really doing something wrong is mark yeah. mm-hmm. because and and again i think mark zuckerberg is 19 or 20 at this point mm. i mean he's a young guy wow and, i didn't realize he was that young yeah it was it started i think in his sophomore year at harvard is when this mm. started i think and he's certainly not older than 21 um I mean, in the scene in the scene in the restaurant, they talk about be, worrying about being carded, you know. Yeah, right. So, like, right, I, you know, no, I wasn't that mature enough to deal with the <laughs> giant million dollar issues when I was nineteen. But like, the thing is, when you're the leader of a a project, you have responsibilities to the people you're working with, and he is not taking. He is letting Sean Parker do stuff, yeah. not doing what he should know to be the right thing. Exactly. Um, which is what you said, John. Which is keep the guy in the loop, you know. And they start arguing again about the the advertising stuff. And then as Eduardo's getting heated, he says, You've had a long flight. No, had a long wait on the tarmac at JFK, and then a long wait to the passenger loading and unloading zone at SFO. And in between, there was a long flight. I'm the business end of this company. And he is a house guest living here rent-free on a very generous grant from the Eduardo Saverin Foundation. I think yeah. he's 100% right. Yeah. <laughs> and then he finally pulls Mark alone. And and this is, this is Fincher's genius, was the idea of, I want to put them in a space that's really small and confined. Mark, Jesus, I quit the internship. We talked about this on the phone. We, I, I quit my first day. I, I also like the moment where he asks about Christy, who he says is crazy. And Mark says, is that fun? No, she's actually psychotic. She's insanely jealous. She's irrational. And I'm, I'm frightened of her. Yeah, yeah. And Mark's response, still, it's nice you have a girlfriend. one of the things i love about sorkin is the ability to can still be funny even in very dramatic scenes yeah i do not want that guy representing himself as part of this company you gotta move out here water this is where it's all happening you hear what i just said the connections the energy mark mark you got it i'm afraid if you don't come out here you're gonna get left behind that word left behind just dangles there Mm. yep sure does it's and it's what sorkin's done throughout this the screenplay is he'll drop a thing and then he's going to pick it up later. And you see this moment of Mark Zuckerberg going, I want, I, I want, I need you out here. Please don't tell him I said that. What did you just say? It's moving faster than any of us ever imagined it would. It's moving what fast. You, it's moving mean? fast. And Sean thinks that we Sean is not a- part of this company. I think that's a moment of vulnerability and feeling overwhelmed for him. You know, like a rare window into what this guy's going through. Yep. We need more programmers and we need more money. And he set up the teal meeting. He set up meetings all over town. He set up other meetings. Yes. Without me knowing anything about You're in New York. I'm in New York riding subways 14 hours a day trying to find yep. advertising. And how's it going so far? And then finally we come back to it. What did you mean, get left behind? So, this is the story in the movie. I want to tell you a little bit about the story that's not in the movie. Okay. So, and this is according to an article at Business Insider. So, Saverin totally neglected his financial duties at this time when he was in New York City, according to mm-hmm. Business Insider. The Zuckerberg family took out multiple loans, a second mortgage and a third mortgage, to pay for the house on in California, mm-hmm. which totally makes sense because renting a house and paying for six people to work full time yeah. is more than eighteen thousand dollars. You know, yeah, sure, that makes sense. The Zuckerberg family have have gone into debt hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point, right. while Saverin is in New York. Saverin is not responding to things that Mark Zuckerberg is calling and asking him about. It sounds like he was trying to keep him more into the loop. He kept asking him to move to California. He refused. 
Saverin at the time apparently was partying a lot. And he also f- formed his own startup company and he put advertisements for that startup company on Facebook without consulting Mark Zuckerberg. Wow. That's some of the stuff that's going on at this time. Huh. That's the real life stuff. That's the real life stuff. Mm. A- according to the research, which wasn't a ton of research, but according to the research that I was able to do. So, so th- which is why I go, you were right to dump Eduardo. We weren't right to do it in the way that you did it, which is fucking terrible. Um, but this, this guy was not the future of Facebook, but we cut to a scene where, and I love this kind of shot where we see Eduardo out of focus, walk into focus as he comes into the bank to freeze the Facebook accounts. Let me ask you Steve more. Why does Eduardo, does Eduardo do this? Cause he, is this a cry for attention from Eduardo or is this a reestablishing the power dynamic and showing Sean that. If he wants to, he can put a stop to all of this. Absolutely. You know, Eduardo has been, uh, he's seeing himself, he's being cut out. He's being left behind. He's not being, he's not uh, being in the loop uh, with decisions that are being made. Things are not being run by him. There's the whole Tom Parker thing. This is Eduardo's moment where he says, not so fast. You do still need me and I'm going to prove it to you. Yeah, yeah. So watch yourself. Don't fuck with me, is what he's saying. <laughs> Basically, Steve, yeah. What do you think? I hundred percent agree. I, I I think and and you know you and the three of us have spoken privately. I think all three of us have had experiences with partners or with people that we thought we could trust in business situations yeah. where yeah. that wasn't the reality, mm-hmm. and it's it's really rough. And yeah, it sure is. And I think that Eduardo got to this moment of I need to I need to establish my strength. I need to establish I need to get them to, as you said, John, to pay attention, you know, yeah, pay attention. Yeah. And then we cut to at that moment, Sean and Mark meeting with Peter Thiel, who is obviously a real person who is uh, not my favorite guy in the world. Yeah. But a very, very powerful person. And he's a snake. He, he's a snake. Yeah. But he does offer a half a million dollars for startup money for Facebook. He's not buying Facebook. This is an investment. He discusses corporate restructuring in Delaware because originally it was the corporation was formed in Florida where Eduardo was from. Yeah. Um, everybody wants to form their companies in Delaware because of all sorts of tax, tax reasons. And then at the end of the scene, which is a great button, we hear. Now, let me ask you something. Who is Eduardo Saverin? Oh, yeah. Like even this guy is like looking at him going like, you really need this guy? Yeah. Christy shows up at Eduardo's apartment straight out of a horror movie. This is so good. <laughs> uh, this is Brenda's crazy, song, right? Crazy, crazy, crazy girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> this is Brenda's song, right? Yes. But yeah, great to see. This is, you know, Brenda's like establishing herself around this time as well. But this scene, um, I don't know if anyone's ever dated crazy girlfriends who are listening to us. I've certainly had a couple in my lifetime. That scene is not out of the realm of possibility. And it is an not. insane moment. And I'm sure, you know, many our female listeners have crazy boyfriends who pull this nonsense as well. So yeah. It's so crazy. And I love Andrew Garfield's just <laughs> obvious fear of her. What is wrong with you? <laughs> like, and I try to figure out how to get out of this horrible situation. And then again, and this is, this is, this is the screenwriting magic is that's not enough. Now, we're going to add to that the phone call from Mark Zuckerberg 
And simultaneous the phone call to Mark Zuckerberg, she's opening up the gift he gave her, which was the scarf, and lighting it on fire. Oh my god, so great. Um, and and so the the scene with Zuckerberg, I think is it's what's great about it. There's many things. The first thing is these are obviously shot at different times. Both actors, Andrew Garfield and Jesse Eisenberg, showed up and were there all day on the set doing the off-camera lines oh, with each great. other. Oh, which wow. is just it's classy. That's cool. And it, it would be very hard to do this scene with the script supervisor reading the lines. Not that there aren't talented script supervisors out there, but the the, the pace is so fast, the rhythm is so intense, there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically he's yelling at Eduardo for freezing up the accounts. And simultaneously, he's going to tell him about the Peter Thiel money and that this is really going to happen, you know? Yeah. Peter Thiel just made an angel investment of half a million dollars. What? And he's setting us up in an office. They want to reincorporate the company. They want to meet you. They need your signature on some documents, so you got to get your ass on the first flight back to San Francisco. I need my CFO. One of the things that I can't tell from watching the movie is how much did Mark Zuckerberg know about how they were going to screw Eduardo and when did he know that that was what was going to happen? Mm. Because in this scene, to me, it doesn't feel like he knows that yet. Okay, that's a really good point. Um, yeah. Did he? How much did he know? How much did Zuckerberg know about the way Saverin was going to wind up getting screwed? Yeah, because we've been we've been blaming you know, Parker in our conversations here on, on this particular episode, but like Zuckerberg was there too. Zuckerberg could have stopped Parker from doing half the stuff he did, but he let it all go. uh, According to the movie, Uh, I would imagine let it go because he was seeing the possibility of making, you know, face making money with Facebook, it being great. And that Eduardo actually wasn't the guy to uh, walk with him into the promised land. So he allowed Sean to be the bad guy in this situation. But at the same time, during during my rewatch of the social network for this, for the cinephiles, Mm. and that moment when Zuckerberg says to him, I need my CFO in California, he he's on the phone and he's got this smile, but it doesn't seem like a a sincere smile. Mm. It looked kind of evil. Yeah. It looked calculating. I remember thinking like, ooh, that is not that's not a warm, genuine smile. Like, I need my buddy, I need my CFO. Right. I think I think Zuckerberg did know. And this was this was his way of disarming Saverin from thinking that anything was wrong. Yeah. That's what I thought. I just it just occurred to me because you know, I've watched it like three weeks ago when we did our first part, you know. <laughs> um, but I remember watching it going like, oh wow, Zuckerberg knew. He knew what was going on. There, there's a difference between a business move and intentionally fucking someone to hurt them. Right. right. You know what I mean? And like where this is, because if he knows at this moment and does it, and it is what the way you described, yeah. it is way more than just a business move. It Absolutely. Is, I am intentionally screwing over Eduardo. Yes. Right. Um, I had, I'll, t- I'll, I'll say what one of my, one situations were it was in the first movie that I wrote and I had written the screenplay. And then when the movie sold the director who was a friend of mine had, we had to sign new contracts. It was literally the same situation. Oh, wow. And my deal with that director was that 
The story was by me and the producer and the director. I wrote the screenplay and that I had 5% of the director's 20% of the movie, something like mm. that. Mm. So I had some of his points. And when it, when I got the new contract after the film got sold to MGM, it said that the movie was written by the director with additional dialogue by Steve Morris. And that my percentage was now 1% of his 20% or something like that. And I called up this guy who's my friend, and I was like, well, what, what did you do to me? You know? And he, uh, and we're still friends, actually. We, we kind of got past this whole thing, and I didn't sign that contract. Because unlike Eduardo, I actually read my contract. <laughs> but, but, uh, but the thing was, was that I don't think he thought he was screwing me. I think he just, the, the people at MGM had just buttered him up. And, and when he told the story of the screenplay, he probably exaggerated his part of it because that's maybe how he saw it. And they said, oh, well, you should have this credit and, you know, this money. And they just kind of told him what he wanted to hear. And he went along with it and didn't think about it. That's it's where I just kind of went, oh, well-meaning uh, stupid people can be way more dangerous than evil people. Because hmm. he wasn't I, don't, I still don't ever think he was being evil, but I was going to get really screwed. Not that that movie ever made a lot of money, but still, by the way, at the end of the scene, when it's getting nice. Uh, and you know, he, and Eduardo goes, I'm on my way. And he says, Eduardo, we did it uh, off camera. Jesse Eisenberg is doing all sorts of improvs, just saying like, I love you. Let's get married. We're gonna... <laughs> and it's all to get, cause the point is to get a great reaction from Andrew Garfield, which is what they did. And of course, while this whole thing is going on, he's having to put out the fire that Christie has started. I mean, it's just it, it, it always give your actors more things to do. It almost always makes the scene better, you know. Word yeah. up. Ah! You're going back there already? Yes. And also, I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> so that's a classic Aaron Sorkin line construction, and Fincher hated it. He says, nobody starts a sentence with also. You can't, you can't do that. And he made Sorkin basically say the sentence over and over and over again until Fincher could finally accept that someone could talk that way and allow it to be in his movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> that must have been an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah. So, and then one of the really interesting choices after Mark hangs up, all of his house in Palo Alto is celebrating mm. and Mark is outside looking in at the celebration, not a part of it, looking in through the glass, which I think is a brilliant choice. Yeah. Brilliant choice. It's like he, as he's he may have started this, he may have created this scenario, but it's not he's just not as cool as these other as these other guys. He never will be. Eduardo has come back to California and he's in with some lawyers signing some papers and they're talking about how, you know, they're replacing his old shares with newer shares and that they're going to be diluted and they're going down to 34.4%. Why the increase from the original 30%? Because you may need to dilute it to award shares to new investors. I love working with business majors. <laughs> and when we come back to the deposition, we hear counsel and when you signed these documents were you aware that you were signing your own death certificate no it was insanely stupid of me not to have my own lawyers look over all the in, in, in all honesty i thought they were my lawyers yeah. okay is is that true do you really think he <laughs> thought they were his lawyers like like you know this as as we're sort of getting to this point with Saverin. That 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 big moment that he has, you know, with with Zuckerberg, you know, when he has his headphones on, uh, which is such a powerful moment. Yeah. Like, was was Saverin naive? Should he 
have seen this coming? And do you think that he he ever thought uh, maybe maybe he maybe he didn't see this come because he just never imagined in a million years that that something like this would happen to him? Like, I mean, I feel bad for the guy, yeah. but at the same time, I kind of feel like he was a little naive too. Like, come on, man! Like. Like all these signs are pointing to you. Like, look at the way that Zuckerberg has gravitated and become completely enamored with Sean Parker. Like, he should have seen the writing on the wall, even though he was distracted with his business school duties and trying to get advertisers and so on. He should have seen the writing on the wall. I mean, it's easy for me to say now, watching it, having seen it many times, but, you know, even the first time I saw it, I just went, like, dude, come on. What do you think? Yeah, it's tough to have an opinion on this strongly because, you know, you <clears throat> who, know, who knows if this is Eduardo's actual retelling because as you said, Steve, in the first part, this is um, who the uh, author or the writer rather interviewed and got a chance to speak with and what the book is based on rather. So, but <clears throat> you look at this and you're like, well, how much of this does he know? How much of business does he know? When you throw friends in the mix, it becomes a kind of a tough thing to be a dick about it. And a lot of feelings get intertwined. Clearly he was feeling left out. Clearly he was starting to um, glimpse the fact that they were moving on from him. So maybe he doesn't check this out. Doesn't get lawyers look over it just so he can stay a part of it in some way and doesn't, and trusts Mark that Mark won't screw him over. Right. Which is why when he does explode, which we'll get to, which I think is the greatest scene in the movie. Um, it it is coming from a place of anger at himself and anger yeah. at Mark and Sean at what they did. I agree um, with that. Yeah. I agree that he's angry at his at himself as yes. well as yeah. obviously Mark. He's uh, young man making himself like, why didn't I see this come? Why didn't exactly. I see the writing on the wall? I think you have to get the shit kicked out of you a bit in life before you start to anticipate this stuff. No matter how smart you are, absolutely, <clears throat> absolutely. absolutely. Well, and I think the line of. In all honesty, I thought they were my lawyers. Mm-hmm. That makes these are the lawyers representing his company. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. You know, and okay. and we've heard this. Uh, we've heard this other times where, like, you know, whether you know, it's like an actor is signing a contract on a movie or something like that, and they and they're part of the company, and yeah. it's like no, and, and this is to everyone listening on the cinephiles. You need your own fucking lawyer. Like yes. you, you just you cannot. And it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it was malicious. Well, in this case, I believe it is malicious. <laughs> but in most cases, it's like you just need to read that fucking contract. Yeah. And you need a lawyer to read the contract because you don't know what's in there. Sometimes I had a situation where there was just a clause in the contract that was just a totally standard clause that for the particular thing I was doing was going to completely fuck me. Mm-hmm. And when I pointed it out, they went, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll take that out. That's not a big yeah. deal. Yeah. It's just because it was like you got to read the contract. But but and I also think that the you know this is his he I think the Eduardo of the film mm-hmm. Mark is his best friend he's right. still his best friend you know having having been betrayed by a best friend basically I, I it it took me a full year to yeah. really accept that this friend really wanted to hurt me you know right like right. it took right. it took me a year and and I was not a young man I was a man in my forties yeah right yeah you know. Um, but anyway, uh, I've apologized for this many times. I don't know how many times. Bring up. <laughs> <laughs> you were one of the friends who stood by me in this, this whole bit, bunch of horribleness. I was your only friend. Yet one friend. So working with Fincher, 
they t- Fincher's way of doing things is often, I don't know what you should be on this. Let's try it really angry. Let's try it really hurt. Let's try it really soft and subtle. Let's try it. And so, and so they take after take after take after take of him doing different emotional ones. Yeah. And they ended up with the smallest one. Like they ended up with the one that was really just, just say the line straight. Right. And I felt the most genuine. Yeah. And then before I left, he said, but you got to come back. Somewhere around the end of November, early December, Peter wants to throw us an amazing party when we hit a million members. It's going to be out of control. you got to come back for it. A million members? Yeah. Remember the algorithm on the window at Kirkland? Yeah. I'm going to ask exactly the same question I asked a few minutes ago, which is, does Mark know that he is going to fuck Eduardo, particularly at this party? Yes. At this point, he can't be this far along, especially with the lawyers and the contract, Mm -hmm. and not know what is going to happen to Saverin. There's no way that – I'll tell you what. There's no way that Zuckerberg is as naive as Saverin. So, yes, I think probably I'm even more steeped in that conviction now than when you asked the first time. Yeah, I think as Scott pointed out so well, by this point, there's no way he's not aware of every single line in that contract because Bingo. there's no one more anally retentive about Facebook than Mark Zuckerberg. So mm-hmm. he is completely aware. He probably knew Eduardo would sign the thing without reading it. And I'm sure Sean had an influence in that as well. Uh, you know, if we judge him from the characters of the movie. And so by this point, when he has this back and forth with Eduardo, it's almost like what's that con says sauce for the or Nimoy says sauce for the goose. Yeah, he essentially this is the sauce for the goose of Eduardo because Mark knew Eduardo was never going to leave a certain way. He was jealous of Eduardo, and so this is a way for him to screw Eduardo and get one up on him. But you know, in the end, what it leads to is this. Obviously, what we see at the end, but like that is a the, he knew what he was doing and wanted to dig the knife in deeper to show him I got the best of you. Absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Like after Saverin got into this, uh, this club and, you know, he's going to these parties and, he's, right, right. you know, has having better luck with women. This was the thing that Zuckerberg had over him. And just like he did with, with the, uh, uh, Winklevoss guys, you know, mm. he, he's holding his cards close to the vest. And yes. I absolutely do think that he, was he knew what was coming and you know he's not going to say anything until it has to be said or done and that's that moment that's coming up what does he say to the Winklevoss twins this occurred to me just right now what does he say to the Winklevoss twins if you could have built facebook you would have built facebook is same thing here if eduardo if you could have created the facebook that i wanted to create you would have created it you just gave me money absolutely I yes i built this thing right I think this was my thing you all you did was fund it help me fund it but exactly that that wasn't enough. Yeah. So <clears throat> I agree. I agree with everything you said. I I think, but 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 I want to I want to break this down into different levels. Okay. Level one is as I've said multiple times now. I think based both on the movie and on the other information I know from the reality, right. there's no question that Mark is right to dump Eduardo. That that he should not be the CFO of Facebook. That that is just in terms of a business sec- decision. The second thing, which is harder 
is I also think, you know, you make a deal in your dorm room when you're 19. I have 70% of the company. You have 30% of the company. Yeah. Eduardo shouldn't have 30% of Facebook. That's now that's a more delicate thing. And there's some way to negotiate. I don't know how you negotiate your way out of that in a way that's ethical and honest, but in terms of, you know, I, I, I feel that to totally strip him of all his value in right. Facebook is is it, at the level that they do is really really fucked up. Mm-hmm. To do it in a dishonest way where you you're hoping he doesn't look at the contracts you can get away with it is fucked up. Right. But then the higher level is to continue to celebrate with him like hey we got Peter Thiel isn't this great and to lie about getting him to come back to the company to fuck him publicly. Yeah 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 is come that is just a fuck you evil horrible fucking thing to do do it and and if he knows it at this moment and that's why he's pretending to be nice and inviting him to the party yeah totally fucked up and and really really like among the worst things mark zuckerberg does in the whole movie he's smiling to his face and stabbing him in the back at the same time yep yeah you know whenever i stab people in the back i do it in (laughs) private the way you're (laughs) I don't embarrass them in front of an entire company. For God's sake. Oh, my God. Um, The the next scene is one of those totally gratuitous scenes, and I'm so glad it's in the movie, which is Sean and Mark showing up 20 minutes late to some meeting with venture capitalists or something, and Mark is in his robe and pajamas, and Sean (coughs) gives him the rundown. Apparently, this is someone that rejected Sean Parker that he wants revenge on. And you say, Sean Parker says, fuck you. Fuck out. And he runs up in the robe and Justin Timberlake does the double flip off as he goes. And that's all we get at that scene. You know, what's great about that scene too, is the way that Mark looks back at Sean. Yeah. 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 Like I'm going to, I'm going to make you proud. Right. Like he was excited to do this to his, you know, and, and he was excited to do something for, for Parker. Would he have done something like this for Saverin? No way. Yeah. No. Like, Would Saverin have asked him to walk into a business meeting in a robe and say, fuck you? No way. <laughs> but, but you're right. I, you know, To call the scene gratuitous, I, I agree. I've always felt like, what is the purpose of the scene? Like, You could have taken this out of the movie and it would have, wouldn't have done a thing, really. But it's, I, I do like watching it. You know, like hmm. Anyway, I was curious why, why uh, Fincher wound up including it after – you know, knowing how much of a stickler he is for the details. I have two thoughts on this scene of, of why, and, and, I, and I think our conversation kind of sparks a second reason, but the first I think was a way, you know, like you said, Scott, it, it was a way to show how desperate Mark was to be cool. He always saw Sean as cool, right? In the restaurant, everything Sean said, yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, so clearly the Sean aspect, almost like a bigger older brother who's cool and yeah. he's the younger brother who wants to do everything the younger brother or the older brother does. So Sean's setting him in there. But I think the second reason, which came to me as you guys were talking, is this is so that the audience can enjoy even more when Sean gets phased out of Facebook by Mark. Because Mm -hmm. I think this is the change in their relationship. I think Mark realizes after this incident, when he sends him up there in his pajamas to do his bidding, that Mark realizes, wait a minute, I'm in a situation now where he is in control of me. He is telling me what to do. I am Mark Zuckerberg. If Nobody he could have created Facebook, he would have created It's me. And so I think this is the scene where the power dynamic changes because I think there's something missing later where Zuckerberg realizes this 
maybe in the quiet moments and and decides he's going to fuck Sean out of this too. Right, right, right. I think I think it's a really good point. I think it's like the seed is here. Yes, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, because because one of the interesting things we find out in the deposition was he he did do this, and they actually were impressed, and it made them want to invest more. Yeah. Right. You know. Right. <laughs> which is crazy, and we also hear, "Hey, we're coming up on that millionth member, and Eduardo is flying out." I didn't know whether to dress for the party or for the business meeting, so I kind of dressed for both, but it didn't matter. Why not? Because I wasn't called out there for either one. What were you called out there for? An ambush. (laughs) (laughs) He shows up at the new, at the Facebook offices and Sean is watching uh, through the window as he meets with those same lawyers. First I thought he was joking, giving me more contracts to sign. But then I started reading. The demeanor of the lawyers this time is very different. Than the demeanor when uh, when you know that the guy says, "Well, this is why I love dealing with business majors." <laughs> right, like his this time he walks in there, it's all business. I mean, I think they shake hands, but you know, there's none of that like you know big hug, you know, with the slap on the back kind of thing. Uh, it's it it's you know the the kid gloves are off, and this guy is actually in, you know waiting for for what's what's about to come in seconds. Never trust a lawyer when they compliment you. Never trust a lawyer when they compliment. You. <laughs> it's good. It's a good rule. Same. Same true with an agent, a producer, yeah. a, uh, a an executive at a studio. <laughs> it's, it's always a bad start. Whenever a lawyer says, "Oh wow, you should be doing my job," get out of the fucking room. Get out of the room immediately. Get out of that room. And we hear him yell through the glass, "What is this?" And he storms out. I love a the shot of him storming out across the Facebook logo. Yes. It's great shot. And then there's this low angle dolly back as he charges towards Mark. It's a fantastic shot. And Sean is yelling this term we've now heard many times. Mark! He's wired in. Sorry? He's wired in. Is he? Yes. And Eduardo picks up that computer and slams it down. Smashes it. He smashes it. Wow. So when you're in the... It's painful. When you're in the prop department and you see that in a script, you know, okay, I got to get multiple laptops because we don't know how many takes we're going to need. When you're in the prop department and you see that in the script for your David Fincher movie, (laughs) they bought 40 laptops. Whoa! And and broke most of them. Shit. about now? You're still wired in? You issued 24 million new shares of stock. You were told that if new investors came along. How much were your shares diluted? How much were his? And what we hear is... Sean Parker's shares weren't diluted. Justin Moskowitz's shares weren't diluted. And Mark Zuckerberg's shares weren't diluted. The only person whose shares were diluted were his down to 0.03%. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, other than obviously being extremely angry, what do you think that Saverin is thinking? Like, what have I done? Like, how could I have let this happen? Like, at two, at two, Brute is yeah it's you know this is like the moment in citizen kane when kane finishes the review that leland started about uh, his life you know basically writing an honest review and firing him i mean it's the scene in social network is far more dramatic and uh impactful uh and and the scene in citizen kane is is i would say just as impactful because of its restraint and the way that Orson Welles plays that out and the way that 
Joseph Cotton just kind of like walks out of the room. Uh, could we make an adjustment possibly? Like is – if Zuckerberg is Kane, him reducing the shares of Eduardo and no one else's, is him finishing the review and then firing Leland? Leland smashing the computer – or sma- – uh, Eduardo smashing the computer is Leland sending back the final check, check. in pieces, right, in the envelope. Oh, oh, the Declaration of Principles, yeah. Right. The de- oh, sorry, yes, the Declaration of Principles, not the check, right. The Declaration yeah. Of- yeah. yeah, oh my God, absolutely, John. Absolutely, yes. That's the that's the mirror. That's the parallel. I, t- I think you're. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And I also think what's so fascinating is that, I mean, I think Mark Zuckerberg is an interesting character. I do not think he is nearly as fascinating as Charles Foster. Oh, well, fair, fair. And Kane, because- because Kane's whole thing is like, I write the bad review, which is a good thing, right? Like a gift to you at the moment that I fire you, mm-hmm. you know, like it's such a complicated thing that he does. By the way, I just did some quick math. I believe this math is accurate. Would you like to know how much 0.03% of Facebook is worth today? Oh, wow. 0.03% of Facebook. I'm sure it's probably still not a, not a bad thing. So like how Eduardo- much? If Eduardo didn't sue, mm-hmm. he just said, okay, I'll take the 0.03, $180 million. Good <laughs> God. <laughs> just 0.03%. Yep. How well, much did he settle for, Blake? I mean, I'll show you. I'm sure you'll say this at the end, but. We don't know how much he settled for yeah, uh, because, yeah, it's non-disclosure. But uh, Eduardo Saverin is currently worth $9.5 billion. Billion. All right. Not, not too bad. He's doing all right. <laughs> he did He did pretty good. You're going to blame me because you were the business head of the company and you made a bad business deal with your own company? Uh, which, by the way, is true. I yep. think that's, a, I think that's you know, I don't think what Mark did was fair, but I think the statement is fair. Yeah. And Eduardo says, and it's so sad. He says, This is going to be like I'm not a part of Facebook. It won't be like you're not a part of Facebook. You're not a part of Facebook. My name's on the masthead. You might want to check again. Wow, just just uh, you know, kind of just keep that dagger, or, you know, just tap it in a little further. Why don't you? Yeah. Well, well, the other thing about making the decision to ambush him at the moment of the million members in public at the Facebook offices yeah. is bad business, man. This is just not. You don't want this happening. You, this is a moment of celebration for your company. The, the, the last thing you want is for anybody to see this happening. That's the point, you know, that, you know, there's so many sort of young Turks running the show here or, or part of the show at Facebook, you know, as, as ahead of its time and as groundbreaking and trailblazing as Facebook was, the way that the business is, is being run at this point, it's still kind of amateur hour. And yeah. that's why you're right, uh, that Steve, that this is just like bad business. Um, and it's also bad, and this is where, and again, Mark is young, that when you're the boss, you need to step up and be the fucking boss. And letting Sean Parker carry a lot of this argument yeah. is is fucked up on a lot of levels, and there's a lot of nastiness coming out of Sean Parker. You think we were going to let you parade around in your ridiculous suits pretending you were running this Sorry, company? Sorry, my Pradas and the cleaners, along with my hoodie and my fuck you flip-flops, you pretentious douchebags. <laughs> It's a great one, Sean was fucking bankrupt. He was broke. So yep. was he. He was broke, yeah. He was living he was at his broke. girlfriend's place, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're, well, and this is the thing. You know what? I'm so glad you said that, John, because this is the other thing. We know that Eduardo made, what, 
$300,000 or whatever it was on oil futures. Yeah, like yeah. he actually is making money as a businessman. Right. And have like, who the hell is Sean Parker to say that after, yeah. you know, after Savin was there from the beginning and Parker yeah. was not like, you weren't there. I was fuck you. That's the, that's the scary part of business is people can come in at the last minute or on the tail end of things and assume ownership over people who've been there from the beginning. Bingo. And, you know, and inflict their opinions because they have the ear or they've wormed their way into a position where they have the ear of the top dog. And therefore, they, they, uh, um, how can I say this? By osmosis, they take the power and think they have the same level of power um, and and, and inflict it on people. And so you see that. And I always blame, I don't blame them because snakes are snakes. Snakes are going to do what snakes, a scorpion and the frog type thing. Right. I blame the people who are blind to these people or who willingly do it and try to claim like they had no idea and all this nonsense. Bullshit. Red flags are always there for everybody to see. Yeah. yeah. You know, to me, I blame the people who allow that to happen much more than the snakes. Snakes are always going to be snakes. You know. Good point. Excellent point. I agree. I also like it's hard, you know. Of course. It's yeah. hard. Like, you know, particularly like this is your gig and – yeah. You know, like if you're working at Facebook and you're at your first startup and, you you know, and things seem to be going well, it's hard to be the person who says, hey, CEO and Sean Parker, you guys are doing fucked up things. I don't yeah. approve. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely agree that you that people need to do that. Security's here. You'll be leaving now. I'm not signing those papers. We will get the signature. And then there's this moment. And when I first saw it and then rewatched it for the show, I was like, I didn't like the scene going there. And now thinking about it more, I think it's exactly correct that it goes there, which is. Tell me this isn't about me getting into the Phoenix. You, you did it. I knew you did it. You planted that story about the chicken. I didn't plant the story about the chicken. What's he talking about? You had me accused of animal cruelty. Seriously, what the hell's the chicken? <laughs> it's hilarious. But I want to say like, the reason I had the initial reaction, I was like, oh, why are we getting to these like petty little mm-hmm. things in this moment that are so ridiculous? And then I went, this is where these things go. I, yeah. I personally have focused laser like on some little thing that probably meant nothing in some upset with someone else. Oh, sure. And I've certainly had people come back to me of like, you did this because of this thing. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like that, that that means like nothing to you or something that just goes like, you know, you let something pass, but somebody else has been like holding that inside for years. (laughs) It's weird when you do it and then you're on the other end of it. (laughs) It's like, wait, what? I don't even remember saying that. Right. Yeah. I imprinted this into my brain because you said Or you're just like like or if it's somebody if it's someone you care about, you just go, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, hang on, just let's 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 just air this out. This is not what you think it is. But you're right, it happens to the best of us. Well, and there's also I I started I don't know if I've used this term with you, John, but mm-hmm. it, it, probably not with you, Scott. But like the the term that I've come up for it is that there's also the thing of the straw, meaning the straw that breaks the camel's back. Right, right. Is sometimes in 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 a long term set of conflicts, there can be a little meaningless thing, and it is a little meaningless thing, but it becomes really fucking important. Right. You know. And so, and, and this, and now I don't think by the way that either the Phoenix or the chicken were, I don't think he planted the story about the chicken personally. I do think the Phoenix is a motivation, but I don't think it's a motivation for, I don't think it's why Eduardo gets kicked out of Facebook. 
Like if it was not a motivation, why would it sort of be a recurring plot point? Like, you know, yeah. like, you know, when, when he gets in and Zuckerberg is like acting like he's happy for him when really he's not. Let, let, let me clarify my what I mean. I think it's 100% a motivation <laughs> for many of the choices Mark makes in creating Facebook. Ah, yeah, right. I don't think it's an important motivation. I think the fact that Eduardo is not in fucking California and doing his job as CFO and that Sean, and doesn't understand the direction the company needs to go, that's the reason he gets kicked out of Facebook. It's not because of the Phoenix. Well, are you blending I mean, things together? Because, I mean, uh, in the construct of the movie, it does feel like the Phoenix totally. is an elephant, I, yeah. right? I, I, I think you can but make in that real life, I think, I think you're right in real life, obviously. But uh, in the construct I'm always movie, right in real life, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and the construct – I'm going to remember that for six years. But in the construct of the, of the movie, it feels like the Phoenix is an element of it. And I – I, I, I actually don't know. I'm much more leaning towards the fact that he might have planted that story, but not for in the future. I can fuck him with this more like in the moment, just like he did when he wrote that blog, when he was drunk and angry and insulted Erica's family, insulted her bra size and called her a bitch. He has a tendency to when he nerd rages to go too far. And so he may have wanted to fuck with Adorno to, by planting that story as a uh, as a bit of like lashing out out of jealousy or in or feelings of inadequacy. So yeah, I don't know that he didn't post it, but I'm more inclined to believe that he might have is what I would say. And I'll bet what you hated the most is that they identified me as a co-founder of Facebook, which I am. You better lawyer up, asshole, because I'm not coming back for thirty percent. I'm coming back for everything. Wow, oh, love that line. Love that yeah, line. Great line. Great that. Great line. Oh. I, I think Andrew Garfield, he's been so restrained through the whole movie mm-hmm. that when he just lays it, when he does this in this scene, it's just great. And Sean Parker hands him the check for $19,000 and says, Here's your $19,000. I wouldn't cash it, though. I drew it on the account you froze. Oh. And the next moment, they handled so well, which is Eduardo pulls back as if he's going to punch Sean Parker. And the sudden cowering little boy fear yeah. that Justin Timberlake plays is so satisfying, I'll say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's authentic. If you've ever seen the punked episode where Justin Timberlake has his cars repossessed, quote unquote, and he breaks down crying on the doorsteps of his house, it is he has an he has an element of this in the inside oh, of himself. Man, oh, I missed that. <laughs> oh God, that is such an, an unsettling episode of punks because he is like just despondent in I tears. Can't, that's why I can't watch those things. I really, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not tough not. enough to deal with those. Things. I so, but, yeah. uh, like embarrassment and awkwardness, and oh, it's like yeah. I can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so seeing him, react, and I think this is also why they cast him because it's he's got. A little bit. He's got a little bit of one of those punchable faces. Does JT? So it works, you know. And, and look, incredibly talented guy, super successful. Nothing negative about the man. He's done great stuff, and he, you know, you know, the Janet Jackson stuff is a little uncomfortable, but certainly, but like he seems like a, a good gentleman. So, but he's got one of those faces. So when Eduardo does what he does, it's like what you've always wanted to do to that person who talks too much because he thinks you're never going to hit him because you're going to do assault and battery on him. But you want to reclaim a little bit of power in that moment and emasculate him. And that's what Eduardo does. He was never going to hit him. It was just to see his reaction. Sure. And to do it right. Exactly. Publicly, yeah. Right? Just like Mark publicly embarrassed Eduardo, 
Eduardo just embarrassed Sean publicly because Sean, he thinks, is the one behind this influencing Mark to do this to him. Eduardo storms out, and then Sean does the thing that's I've had to do a couple of times, which is like look around at the crowd and go, oh, shit, how do we defuse this moment? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's it. That's our show for tonight, people. And then he tries to kind of rile everyone up for the party. And then Mark says to him in a very soft voice. You're kind of rough on him. Kind of. That's life in the NFL. You know you didn't have to be that rough on him. Listen, I'm putting together. You didn't have to be that rough on him. What do you think about this moment? Uh, I think you didn't have to be that rough on him. Mm. That's the word. Mm. It's not like he's saying... We fucked him over. We were wrong. We got to fix this. Right. He's not saying that. He's just saying, you didn't have to be that rough on him. You could have been less rough on him. Well, what the hell's the difference? You were still rough on him. The moment was still rough on him. Nothing could have diffused Saverin's anger because he was right to be angry. Yeah. And, you know, just to say he, you didn't have to be that rough on him is to say – uh you didn't have to kill him that dead. Uh, he's, you, you were still, you still screwed him over. He, he was still screwed over. And mm-hmm. whether Saverin was rough, uh, sorry, whether Sean Parker was rough on him or not so rough on him, the outcome still would have been the same. He still would have been reduced to 0.03% and screwed out of the business that he helped start. Yeah. That's a great point, Scott. Yeah, I think the the two things that exactly what Scott said, of course, uh, that rough on him is the key. That is the key there. But it's also Zuckerberg once again, you know, blaming someone else for something he could have fixed. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what he does through the whole movie: is blame other people when a little bit of common courtesy would have got him out of all these situations that he's now being sued for. But because his hubris, his arrogance. His purposeful um, uh, inability to fix the uh, interpersonal relationship defaults that he has, um, this is the result. And you see this moment. So he has no leg to stand on to criticize Sean Parker. But as the antagonist or the protagonist of the movie, we do feel we're more on Mark's side in dressing down Sean a little bit in that moment because we're such a fan of Eduardo. Bingham. In the film, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and so, but I also think what you see, what you guys were talking about earlier, that scene where he sends him up there with a double bird and the pajamas and all the this in this moment to where he says to him, "You could, you didn't have to be that hard on him," has been building over the last few minutes of the movie, so that when he has that moment, you realize, okay, this is Mark breaking away from Sean, finally realizing the toxicity that Sean is. That, yeah, that's totally what I think too. And I think, and, and I agree with you, by the way, obviously, you totally fucked the guy, whether you did it in a polite way or not. Exactly. But, but I, but I also think, you know, with what you said, John, is that it was, it was so petty, the little fuck you thing in the pajamas and stuff. And this is petty. And this is, and, and I think that, that, it, and it's funny because I kind of had this feeling. And then I heard Fincher talk about this moment is that, Mark has been acting like a kid, you know, like that's who he's, you know, he is childishly wants to fuck the Winklevoss. He try, he's pissed at Erica. So he writes this blog. He does the face mash thing. He, you know, he's just childish and petulant and he's let other people, particularly Sean Parker, 
make the decisions for him. And yes. I think in this moment, he's see, starting to see that. And then I heard this interview with Fincher. And according to Fincher, this is the moment at which Mark Zuckerberg becomes a grown up. Oh, oh, okay, right. Because he's standing up to Parker and he says, each time with more confidence, you don't have to be that rough on him. Mm. Yeah, right. I think he's starting to go go see what it is to be a CEO, you know, like what it is. Oh, this is my company. I I actually can decide or have to decide how it's going to be run. Um, And then Sean changes the subject into the after party, he's setting up at the sorority and that one of the interns names Ashley is a sorority sister there. I know who she is. Are you guys Ashley? Me? No. A little bit. And again, this is in the scene of Mark becoming a grown-up. You could see the looks and reactions to this thing. And then up walks Ashley and there's this weird, awkward, and in the post-Me Too world, I think even more awkward moment of we were just talking about you. Yeah. And her like kind of huh? oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then we cross a million members of Facebook, and it is a weird moment because it's just been such an upsetting scene of betrayal and all this emotion, and now we're supposed to celebrate. It's such a juxtaposition, you know. The moment when you cross a million users is uh, the moment when you completely humiliate your co-founder and former best friend. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny, you know, we've been making Citizen Kane comparisons all along. And, and and we said at the beginning, like, you know, Charles Foster Kane is so charming and charismatic mm. when we meet him as a young man and then becomes less and less likable as we go along. Mark Zuckerberg is never likable. Yep. But I actually find him in this scene as he's sort of separate from all the celebration. Yeah. Infinitesimally more, not likable, but sympathetic. Like, I, I feel more for him at this point in the movie than I did at the beginning of the movie. If that makes sense, uh, it makes sense, uh, and it's interesting that that someone who has sort of shown his not likable side so many times mm. and sh- shown so much disrespect to to people. I mean, look, the Winklevoss twins earned his disrespect, but like the other attorneys in the deposition and so on, you know, they they you know he did not treat uh, those uh, professionals with respect at all. Right. And yet here is a moment where I uh, empathize with Zuckerberg's re- – I don't even know if I can call it regret because if he really regretted it, he would have done something to make it right and he never did that. Yeah. Cut to the frat party. <laughs> uh, there's something about the guy in his 20s hanging out with the sorority sisters that's like <sighs> – you know, fucked yeah. up and they're doing, and they're doing Coke and he's on a Jag where he's just talking and talking and talking to blue streak and clothes are coming off and in come the cops. Yeah. And, and, and you know what it is to me? It's like an extended version of Eduardo faking like he's going to punch Sean Parker. Mm. Is that watching the confident swaggering coked up full of himself, Sean Parker wither when the cops come in. Yeah. And by the way, the moment of the cops entering is the only handheld shot in the whole movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, wow. Everything else is on dollies or, you know, other, you know, or, or on sticks and stuff. This is, but he wanted that kind of energy of the handheld shot. And the cops come in uh, and he's, you could see him trying to talk his way out of it. And they look down and see the cocaine on his hand. And he says, That's not mine. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> The moment as they're searching him and they find, they go, what's this? And he goes, it's my EpiPen and my, and that's my inhaler. 
it's just all it, it all makes Sean so small. Yeah. So much of a kid. Not that grown-ups can't have inhalers and epipens, obviously. Right. And being having allergies is not really there's nothing wrong with someone because they have allergies. Uh, but in the moment is so great. And I think that's Justin Timberlake's idea. Oh wow. Oh yeah. wow. Smart. Yeah. Okay. Well, I also think it's an interesting moment when he asks the girl, How old are you? You know, because clearly this is something that's been alluded to throughout the whole movie that he has a proclivity for young women underage or wow, yeah. So when he asks her, How old are you? I think that's also another way of taking him down a little bit in the eyes of the viewer you know absolutely and we cut back as the cops as things are going wrong with the cops we cut back to mark all alone in the facebook office listen something's happened uh by the way just the filmmaking thing this is something we mentioned uh in die hard which is you know we have this idea of camera rules where you're looking you want one character looking left to right and the other character looking right to left so it looks like they're looking at each other Right. And even though you could be on a phone call 6,000 miles away and it makes no difference which way you're looking, you still want to obey those rules on a phone call in general. So mm-hmm. in this, we have Justin looking left to right and Jesse looking right to left. And there's a moment where they turn, one of them turns, and that means the other one has to turn so, so that when Justin turns to his right, that means Jesse has to turn to his left so they continue to look like they're looking at each other. Mm-hmm. And these are two scenes shot weeks apart that you had to figure out this is, you know, directors have to figure that in advance. They write it down and they make sure they have it exactly correct. So when they film the other side of the conversation, they can make it work. <laughs> Yikes. It, it's all right. It's going to be all right. Posted by and I wasn't doing anything. I mean, I've got allergies. And you could see that he wants Mark to say, it's all, it's cool, Sean. It's going to be fine. Right, right. Right. Uh, well, I, I think at this point, you know, Sean Parker has... He's he's been so empowered by the magic that he's wielded by the 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 way that he got this like brilliant guy who created this groundbreaking thing to look up to him, and in one fell swoop, this guide Sean Parker showed himself to be a mere mortal with human frailty, and yeah. he's embarrassed by that, and he thinks that he thinks that Zuckerberg lost respect for him, which he did. Well, and, you know, it connected to the previous scene mm-hmm. where, you know, Fincher says this is where Mark becomes the grown up. It's been Sean Parker being the mentor this whole way through. You're right. And yes. in this scene, it switches. Yeah. Because he does. He treats him like dad. He says, this is going to be new, Sean. It's going to be online any second. And, and I love the way this is written. I know. You know with an intern. No, it's cool. I have it under control. I will get it under control. Those two lines back to back are great writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sean's response is back to the paranoia. You don't think Wardo was involved, Dean? Looking for a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> of course. He's so paranoid. Right? Yeah, totally. And Mark shakes his head and says, but doesn't even respond to that. He doesn't, doesn't even uh, give that any credence at all. And he says, go home, Sean, and hangs up on him. Wow. Mm. And then we look down and we see what the package that was delivered by the intern is. And it is the business cards that say, I'm CEO, bitch. And and this is a great moment for the audience, right? Because when this was first proposed, we were still in the rebellious mindset. And like, I'm CEO. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, you could show them whatever. Well, when the cards show up at this moment, after everything we've just witnessed, 
that card looks like so out of date and so yeah. incorrect, right? And insulting and childish. And I like, think I don't even cute. want these anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So, because like you said, it, it, this is what um, Fincher said in this moment. That in that moment, he became an adult, and we feel it as the audience. So when we look at the card at that moment in the scene. It's like, oh man, this is throw that away. This grow up, grow up. Exactly, great point, Scott. Yeah, yeah. And then we're back at the deposition, or after the deposition, and it's just Mark Zuckerberg and Rashida Jones. What happened to Sean? He still owns seven percent of the company. So you remember what I said? What point oh three percent is? You could guess what seven percent is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and I, I think again, he still owns seven percent. Is a great, a great line. The word still says so much yeah. because it says he still owns a large part of the company, but he's no longer really a part of the company. All you had all day was that salad. You want to get something to eat? It's such a lonely. Is he, by the way, is he asking her on a date? Do you think? Oh, that's a good question. Great question. Uh, no, no. Yeah. I think after the day, he just is looking for any kind of like human connection. And she was the only one in the room who uh, like spoke to him like just person to person, not uh, attorney to, uh, you know, um, you know, client, uh, yeah. client, client, whatever. Yeah. Someone who I, just treated him with respect. I that's what I think, too. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes it an even more lonely moment. Yeah, because even his own lawyers won't take time to have one-on-one with him in the movie, right? We know we, we don't see any scenes. It's her they send in there. She's just starting. She's kind of new at the firm. They dump him on her to be the kind of liaison between them so they don't have to spend time in the room with him. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So if if even she is rejecting him, uh, you know, it's – and plus it's a woman. So there's it adds more to that feeling of – uh, for himself. So yeah. 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 It so was just like, like, you know how you, you ever have a moment where you just need some human connection. Yeah. You just like, I, I, I need, I need to talk to somebody like, you know, where you just are feeling so lost. I just need, I just need to talk to somebody. That's where, that's where Zuckerberg is by this point in the film. Yeah. There, there's some quote and I don't remember what it is or where it's from, but it's something like, you know, what, what does it mean when you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Yeah. You know, I mean, here's this guy with essentially infinite money, and he's asking this, you know, second year associate, you know, if you want to eat just because he's lonely, you know? He's lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, lonely at the he, top. Yeah. And then he says, and man, anytime you have to say these words, you got to do some serious soul searching. He says, I'm not a bad guy. I know that. When there's emotional testimony, I assume 85% of it is exaggeration. And the other 15? Perjury. Creation myths need a devil. (laughs) Such a great line. What a line. What a line. Well, I also think it's really interesting in the context of Aaron Sorkin made up this whole, both of these depositions Mm. because they're sealed. True. And he's made up a motivation for Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) And now within his own movie, he says creation myths need a devil in this story about the creation of Facebook. Uh, Aaron Sorkin, who is, of course, a member of the Writers Guild, works to, uh, you know, speak on behalf of every other writer to say this is why you need us 
Without <laughs> us, yeah. you don't get stuff like this. You don't get lines like this. You don't get screenplays like this. Uh, AI sure ain't going to write stuff like this. And then basically what we hear is that they're going to settle. And you're going to have to pay a little extra. Why? So that these guys sign a non-disclosure agreement. They say one unflattering word about you in public, you own their wife and kids. I invented Facebook. I'm talking about a jury. I've been licensed to practice law for all of 20 months, and I could get a jury to believe that you planted the story about Eduardo and the chicken. This is why you cast Rashida Jones. And this is why... You have her sit in in all these scenes quiet because you're building up a connection to the audience to her so that when she delivers this line, it carries weight and power because Rashida's a damn good actress. So she knows yeah. how to make the most out of little time and boom, just her saying that because that's her business. And she says it confidently so that Mark doesn't even question it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she earns this moment. That's why she was sitting there the whole time. Yep. Exactly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Pay them. In the scheme of things, it's a speeding ticket. And he does say, thanks, I appreciate your help today, which might be more courtesy than he's paid to anybody throughout <laughs> the entire movie. Completely. And it's and it's like I believe that he was being sincere when he says this because he's saying this right after he said, can we get something to eat? And she said, sorry, I can't. You know, I think he really means it because he's just trying to have some kind of genuine, genuine human emotional connection that he has not had like – the entire duration of the film. And this next line, I think I'm going to need some analysis of. She starts to leave and then stops and says, You're not an asshole, Mark. You're just trying so hard to be. John? <laughs> I've always read that line as um, almost sympathetic to Mark because she's just delivered such a hammer blow to Mark. So she's you know achieved a level of trust and confidence from the audience in that moment. So her analysis of him is meant to give him a little bit of sympathy from the audience because she's essentially saying he isn't an asshole. The reason he tries so hard to be is because he's not able to connect with human beings in a certain way. He's not able to make those um, moments with people. And he does it as a defense mechanism. It's his way of retaining power. If I can be an asshole to you, then I control how you feel about me. Because otherwise, I'll have a room full of Erica's and not know how to function. So I must be the asshole to maintain some level of illusory command or control of any relationship that I'm in. Because I know why you hate me is because I'm making you hate me, as opposed to me just being myself and then you not liking me and not hating me for being myself, which I can't handle. So that's what I feel like when she says that line. She's essentially pop psychology doing pop psychology with him, but she's not wrong. No. I think it's a great line, but I think she's misinformed. Ooh, okay. Because first of all, <clears throat> if you're trying to be an asshole, that makes you an asshole. <laughs> I mean, Scotty. if you're right there, friends. Great point, Scotty. If you are I trying to be an asshole, doesn't that make you an asshole? Great Look point. at the way he treated Erica Albright. Look at the way he treated <laughs> Eduardo Saverin. He is a grade A, capital A, asshole. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that he's trying to be an asshole makes him an even bigger asshole. He is like the black hole of assholes. Yeah. At least at least the way this movie makes him out to be. Yeah. I First of all, <laughs> if you're trying to be an asshole, you're an asshole. It's my favorite line of this entire conversation. <laughs> um, but, but uh, and I, of course I agree. And I, but I also think as framed by this film, 
Mark Zuckerberg is an unbelievably fragile and insecure person mm. who is so desperate in from the from the very first lines of the movie for attention and like Kane, you know, it's I, I don't I don't think he wants love the way that Kane wants love, right. but he wants respect he wants approval and there is nothing that's ever going to fill it up and so and so he he is the line of you're just trying so hard to be is like he thinks that's the only way that he can get respect is i have to i have to be cold and cruel and cut other people down like talking about the phoenix club or whatever in order to feel good about myself and yet i never ever feel good about myself and this 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 uh juxtaposition i don't know if he talked about this in uh um you know part you know one or part two or part 25 of our deep dive into the social network um but this guy who was obviously socially awkward creating the most enduring social media platform is uh it's it's quite the exercise in yin and yang it really is yeah and now mark zuckerberg's alone and he looks down at that computer and what does he bring up facebook and what does he search for on facebook erica albright's facebook page is this the first time he's looked at Erica's Facebook page? Hell no. Absolutely not. But it is the first time he's done he's gonna do what he's about to do. Yes. 100%. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Because yep. he he's just right. got he just got rejected for connection by Rashida Jones's character. Mm. So if as he wasn't feeling vulnerable and lonely at the end of this day to get rejected mm. by Jones, who who he sees as like you know the only decent person in the room, who gave him the time of day. Yeah. So so he he's like desperate. He is desperate at this moment. This is the first time throughout the course of the film that we see Zuckerberg in in a desperate state of loneliness. Hmm. And he hovers that cursor over the send friend request button. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm in. I'm watching this movie going, don't. Do it. Don't, what are you doing? Don't do it. And he hits that send button and Scott Mance, what song starts to play? Well, first of all, baby, you're a rich man yeah. by the Beatles, which is the uh, B side to all you need is love. Just a, uh, mm-hmm. just FYI. And you can find it on side two of the magical mystery tour album. If you had the vinyl or on the CD, or you could just download it from iTunes. There you go. But you're hearing the song. When Zuckerberg hits the send friend request button, what I'm hearing is Rosebud. <laughs> totally. Oh, totally. That's what I'm hearing. And when I watch that uh, again for this uh, deep dive conversation, I got the chills. Every time I see this movie, I become more steeped in my convictions that this is the Citizen Kane of the 21st century. I, I, let me clarify that. It's not the Citizen Kane of the 21st century. It's Citizen Kane in the 21st century. That's yeah. what this is. Oh, good. And of course, then he starts hitting the refresh button. Yeah. And refresh and refresh. And, and we're going to get some text on the screen with the sort of where are they now. But I just want to talk about this moment first of like, how how do you feel? We've come to the end of this film, and 
we're just left with this guy alone in an office mm. hitting refresh on this girl that we that he hurt and was terrible to at the beginning of the movie. Well, I I, I am thinking of the first line of the song that is playing, mm. which is so perfect. Has a feel to be one of the beautiful people. Mm-hmm. How does it feel, Mark Zuckerberg? You got what you wanted. How the fuck does it feel? I hope you sleep well. How do you look at yourself in the mirror, you asshole? Yeah, you, now you're <laughs> venturing into solo Lenin territory with how do you sleep. Yeah, there you go. Well, all right, John. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with Scott. I think of the first line. And that's why it's why such a perfect choice by uh, by Fincher or whoever suggested putting this as the needle drop at this moment because it's it's perfect. It works so well. And you're right. Because this is not one of the most well-known Beatles songs, right? People know it, but it's not one of their hits. So the lyrics here, though, are fantastic. And certainly a condemnation of what they saw was happening with the richer getting richer and the poor getting poorer in our society in the 60s, the beginnings of it. And that's their commentary about and having been a part of fame and seeing the ugliness of fame and the ridiculousness of fame. And that's what the song is all about, you know? Oh, great. Yeah, exactly. Exposure, John. Exactly. Uh, uh, Baby, You're a Rich Man is my second least favorite Beatles song. (laughs) Wow. It is my second favorite, least favorite, because I don't hate any of the Beatles songs. Right, right. But the one that I dislike the most is actually only a Northern song, which is also on, uh, it's on side one of Magical Mystery Tour. Um, Yeah. Uh, I oh no no I'm sorry that's wrong it's on the Yellow Submarine soundtrack it was oh, in the okay. Yellow Submarine movie and I, right. that's the song I hate them I'm just just saying because you know I we have to talk about the Beatles <laughs> I also think this watching it this time it felt a little bit like the rat going across the railing at the end of The Departed I don't know that we needed it and so when I saw it the first time the first few times. Certainly, it's a great button to end the film, and you feel a little bit of sympathy for your and uh, protagonist. But as you said, Scott, if you're an you're an asshole, if you're trying to be an asshole, so why should we feel sympathy for him? I wonder if this was an executive note, or somebody said that we still got to like him by the end. And it's Zuckerberg; he's a big time famous guy. We don't want to leave people thinking he's an asshole because it could affect our film. Talk shit about our studio on Facebook. Maybe there was a decision made to give you some kind of sympathy for Zuckerberg at the end. And certainly my, um, Eisenberg's portrayal leaves room for redemption, leaves room for sympathy and understanding. But I don't know if we needed to end it now looking at it in this manner. Maybe I, there was another ending. So. I don't know if I agree with that because mm-hmm. it is a bookend to the first scene where mm-hmm. we meet Zuckerberg and Erica Albright, yeah, and Erica, she breaks yeah. up with him. And maybe the know, refresh this, is what I'm saying. Maybe we don't need to see him refresh. Maybe just sending the request and but, then wait. Sending the request, okay, but but the refresh mm. just shows you how how lonely he is. Mm-hmm. It's lonely at the top, and I don't want to say that I felt sorry for him. But, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. This is this is the consequence. This is what you get for being. This is what you get for trying to be an asshole and succeeding. You are lonely. You are alone. And you've got to be out of your freaking rat ass mind if you think that she's going to accept that friend. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, w- I just wonder if it would have worked if he sends it and then just stares at it as no response comes through as opposed to refreshing over and over again. I don't know. 
I'm surprised that Erica Albright is even on Facebook. Great point, Scott. Shit, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, wait a minute. Why? Why would she? Why would she have anything to do with his little video game? Yeah, bingo. So, so first of all, I I totally understand when she's on Facebook. There's a certain point where your mom and your sister and your oh. best friend and all the people you know are on Facebook. You get on Facebook. Fair enough. I I feel I I. I, I think, first of all, in terms of like screenwriting and directing, to me, like there would be three levels. Like level one is he is he opens the page. Mm -hmm. Level two is he opens the page and hovers over the send friend request, and we go to black and we never see if he makes the decision. You know, uh, and then level three is he hits send fresh request, and then the next level is that he is refresh, refresh, refresh. The refresh, 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 refresh is the most desperate of those choices. Right. It's the saddest. But I feel like there's a whole other level of this that you guys haven't mentioned, which is, mm. yes, this is everything you said about Mark Zuckerberg is totally true. Mm. Yes, this is about him and about this moment and the consequences of his actions. This moment to me is also about us. It's also about all of us on social media mm. because yeah, right. all of us, I am, I, I, I am certain in one way or another, have been Mark Zuckerberg looking at a, someone's profile or feeling things about our the the quote unquote relationships on social media, mm. and that social media has we thought it was going to connect us, and in lots of ways it's made us more isolated, more angry, more disconnected, and that is the constant. Like it's not just the consequences for Mark Zuckerberg in this moment; it is the consequences for all of us in this yeah. moment. That's uh, what I see. I, I, that's a great point, Steve, but that's not the point I thought you were going to make. Mm. I thought you were going to say, haven't, haven't all of us, the three of us, people listening, gone on Facebook, looked up an ex-girlfriend, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. an ex-boyfriend, someone that you like, that the feeling, you don't not think it's, it's being reciprocated. Absolutely, or you know, yeah. You know, and just looked at their profile page as much as you can look at it without being their friend. Um, mm -hmm. Or, you know, sure, I've looked up ex-girlfriends on Facebook before and- <laughs> been like damn i blew it <laughs> you know i try to stay away from all of that man oh, that's sure you do <laughs> that way, no that way lies madness i used to it do does. that yeah in my 30s but like i've really conditioned myself not to do that as you get older because all it does is make you feel terrible about yourself yep you know? so yeah no that's, that's true too that's what it means to me in this moment of like him hitting, sitting there hitting refresh. It's just going to make him feel terrible. And of course we do get this information on the screen. We see Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss received a settlement of $65 million and an NDA. And it says they rode for the Olympic team in Beijing and placed sixth. Uh, by the way, their current net worth, they were the Winklevoss twins were early adopters of this little thing called Bitcoin. Uh -huh. So with their $65 million, they bought in early they're currently worth about two point one billion dollars each. Jesus Christ! Uh, and there's 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 uh, six three two hundred fifty pounds, and there's two of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, Eduardo Saverin received an unknown settlement. His name has been restored to the Facebook masthead as a co-founder. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, his current net worth is nine point five billion dollars. And then we get the info on. Facebook of the time, which is at the time it had 500 million members and is in 207 countries and is valued at $25 billion. Yeah. Would you like to know the current numbers? <sighs> sure. Uh, I've been waiting for this. It currently has 2.96 billion subscribers. Yeah. 
and is worth, and I just looked, it is uh, valued at $600 billion. So how many people, how many members? Just under 3 billion. Under 3 billion, and there's more than 7 billion people on the face there's, of the planet. There's 8 billion on the planet now. We eight, just crossed 8 billion, eight billion wow. a couple of months ago. Unbelievable. Well, that's a, lot. Um, that's a whole other thing. But that's <laughs> almost, uh, that's more than a third, you know? More than a third of the people on this planet are on Facebook. Yeah. So, yeah. and the la- last one we see is that Mark Zuckerberg is the youngest billionaire in the world. And they don't give his net worth, but I'm going to give you, here's what's funny about this. Mm. We've recorded this over a few weeks. And so I actually, I looked up what is Mark Zuckerberg's current net worth. And I've now looked it up three times. And in the three times, it went from $76 billion down to $69 billion. And yesterday was at $86.5 billion. Good God. That's how much just the change of his wealth wow. is more than Edward Eduardo Saverin's total net worth, which was $9.5 billion goes up and you imagine you like oh today i'm worth an extra three billion dollars not bad for someone to try to be an asshole (laughs) so here's here's one last great story which is it's the last day of shooting and they've got like two small scenes to do and this is just like you know turning on a computer kind of things and david fincher goes to aaron sorkin and says here's what's going to happen we have three shots to do i'm going to do the first two then i'm going to get in my car and go home and you are going to direct the rest of the movie Wow. And Aaron goes, ha, 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 that's totally funny. Of course, you oh, yeah, do yeah. that. And then they, they, the crew start coming up to him and they say, okay, so look, man, we're totally here for you. Whatever you need, you know, just how you want to set up the shot. And we're just, we're going to back you all the way. And Aaron's like, wait, what are you talking about? This is not really going to happen. And Fincher <laughs> shoots the second of the three shots and he goes, all right, bye everyone. And he walks off the set and he drives home and Aaron is all alone and just goes, oh shit. And it was a really, you know, it's a really, it's like someone sitting down or something. It's a super simple shot. And he shoots it and he does, he does three takes and he goes, well, I think we got it. And one of the, the AD walks up and says, I think David would be disappointed if he didn't do a few more takes than that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he did a few more takes and then he got to say, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap on the social network. Oh, wow. That's very cool. That (laughs) that, that Sorkin got to be the one to say that's a wrap. Yeah, that is great. Um, That's the thing. uh, One of the big things that happened before the movie came out was the trailer was a big hit. And one of our patrons on Patreon writes, hey, folks, I would love to know your thoughts on the trailer for this film, the choral version of Radiohead's Creep, and how it served the promotion of the film as well as how it impacted future trailers. I think it's arguably one of the best or at least most influential trailers of all time, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. And that's from Kent West. Yep. That was pretty cool. (laughs) Um, So Kent, I'll tell you what we just did. You know what we did so we could answer this with clarity and with it fresh our minds, all three of us paused for a moment to rewatch that trailer. So gentlemen, what was your reaction? Well, I, first of all, I remember as soon as the trailer started, I remembered being like, wow, this is an amazing trailer. And I love the way the trailer pulls you in by, by using very familiar imagery that we were all doing maybe a dozen times a day. Uh, They were showing images of Facebook before that dissolved to show Eisenberg and Zuckerberg. And then it gets into the trailers, and then we see all those great lines. You know, if you guys would have invented Facebook, you would have invented Facebook. You don't make 500 million friends without making a few enemies. But the way it pulls you in with those images and that song, that's a great trailer. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. And you know, these the, the what is the great films of the seventies? The great films of the seventies made us question our um, uh, our institutions and our systemic approaches to the world uh, and to our government um, by also pointing out that we're participating in it. And I think this is what was so incredible about this trailer. You start with that um, uh, song, you know, you're so very special. The, the Is it Radiohead's on Creep? Radiohead, yeah. yeah. yeah you, you start with that song and the lyrics, of course, to that song are a little bit ironic. And so then you're seeing certain things that you yourself have done so they're essentially turning – they're initially beginning it with just this feeling of, yeah, I feel this connection. This feels like a Kodak commercial. This feels like something I've seen before. Pictures, you know, sh- people showing their body and smiling and doing things that they're proud of. And then we start to hear the beginnings of this and the creation of Facebook and where it's all going and what what it leads to. So in a way, it's turning the camera back on us. And the great films yep. do that in a way that doesn't insult the audience or alienate the audience. It brings them in and teaches them something about themselves. And I think that's this, you get all of that from this trailer, which is why I imagine um, this trailer kind of changed people's points of view of how to create a trailer for sure. That, well, listen, that's a great point. I mean, I think uh, that the trailer pulls you in because it's connecting to all of us because we're, we were all on Facebook and we obviously still are. Yeah. It's funny, when we grew up, most trailers were just, you know, cookie cutter they yeah, just like right. here's what the movie is and maybe you had the in a world guy, <laughs> yeah. you know and the, yeah. and and every once in a while there's a trailer that's like its own movie i mean this is like its own little work of art i think and the great thing about it that trailers way, rarely do is that it frames emotionally how you're supposed to be feeling about this thing you yeah. know so i think it's i i agree with kent i think it's one of the great trailers of all time and i'm really glad you asked the question and really glad of course for all of our supporters on patreon we could not make the cinephiles without you great. um so the movie uh first premiered at the new york film festival on september 24th 2010 i believe eduardo Saverin was there at wow. the premiere and said he was very shaken by it but eventually said he was inspired by it uh it Made $224 million on a $40 million budget. is on all sorts of best picture lists, as you would imagine. Uh, it received eight nominations. Uh, it lost, uh, Jesse Eisenberg lost Best Actor to Colin Firth. It lost Cinematography to Inception. Uh, it lost Directing to Tom Hooper for The King's Speech. It was already <laughs> talked about that one. It won for Sound Mixing, and it won for Screenplay, Score, and Editing, I believe, all won. Mm. By the way, the, the best picture nominees is a good year of movies. The best yeah. pictures that year is The King's Speech, The Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are All Right, 120 sto- 127 Hours, Toy Story 3, True Grit, and Winter's Bone. That's good. a very, yeah, that's mm-hmm. respectable. Mm-hmm. I've only ever not seen one of those. So, yeah. Um, just, well, I won't watch somebody cut off their arm. I'm just not going to do it. So here's what Zuckerberg said. He said, I wish nobody made a movie of me while I was alive. (laughs) Um, That's awesome. uh, Eduardo Saverin said the movie was clearly intended to be entertainment and not a fact-based documentary. Sorkin. (laughs) I'm always confused why people would feel the need to stress that, but yeah. Sorkin said, I don't want my fidelity to be the truth. I want it to be storytelling. What's the big deal about accuracy for accuracy's sake? And can we not have the true 
be the enemy of the good. Mm. Spoken like a master writer. <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm kind of mixed on that. I, I, you know, the one of the big differences between Citizen Kane and the Social Network is that Citizen Kane, the main character's name is Charles Foster Kane. It's right. not William Randolph Hearst, even right. though we know it's based on him. So, I, you know, there's a, there's a difference here, and there's some things in here that I. I love the movie, but the the Erica choices and things that are really not accurate to bug me. Um, there is also talk of a possible sequel. Amazing. What? Really? Oh. What's it about? The Elon Musk and Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, well, think no about what, I mean, you know, think about the 2016 election and yeah. oh. wars and, you know, ethnic cleansing. And I mean, there's a lot of drama at Facebook. Well, that's um, true. Yeah. You know, and censorship and free speech and stuff like that. Gentlemen, do you have final thoughts on Facebook? On on let me say that again. Do you have, <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot leave to say that in. Facebook. Leave that in. All right, I'll leave it in. Do you have final thoughts on the social network? That is the lines being blurred, Steve Morris, and uh, proving the point of the impact of Facebook. Final thoughts is the more I see this movie, the more I love it. The more I see it, uh, the more I relate to it. And, uh, you know, for many, many reasons. And I think it is a brilliant film. I think that it has a film that I thought was going to be dated by the time it was released, because I remember thinking like, boy, like Facebook could go the way of MySpace and this be- could become a moot point. But and still here we are, as Steve pointed out, with those numbers, Facebook is still extremely relevant uh, at the time of this recording in the first half of 2023. And this movie still, it's still um, uh, uh, vital, I would say. It's still vital, not just because it's about Facebook, but because it is about character, because the screenplay is brilliant, the, this, the performances, the acting. Uh, and again, when you're going to, to mirror plot points of literally the greatest film ever made, you're never going to get old. Hmm. Yeah, this is, uh, I agree with Scott. I savor and cherish this film every single time I watch it. There are just these magic films that come into your life. And if they hit you in the right way, you will always respect and revere them. This is a classic. It's not a modern classic. It's a classic, period. It belongs in the conversation with uh, Citizen Kane, with all the other Godfather Part Two, all the great, greats. I think this film belongs in that category. It is the greatest film since the year 2000, and I don't see anything ever coming close to matching it, in my opinion. And I think another part of this, too, is it opened the door to the possibility of creating other films that are based on this kind of stuff. We just had Tetris um, with uh, Ansel, no, with um, a Taron Edgerton. With Taron Edgerton. I always get him and Ansel Elgort confused. Great movie. Ter- yeah, which was fantastic. Loved it. Well, Blackberry is coming out with Jay Baruchel. So this idea that you could explore tech stuff, explore games, explore this kind of stuff in a way that people will understand and to show the human side of it, I think it opened the door to the possibilities of understanding ourselves because obviously we are attracted to these things and using these things. And so it's a film that will constantly tell you lessons about Facebook and the creation of things, but it's also a universal film about friendship, about brotherhood, about connection, about social connection, and about the cost of what can happen when you give people access to information and that how it can destroy other people in the creation of something 
that you aspire to be standing on top of the world, owning it, what the price may be uh, for fame and success as well. So I think it's just, there's so much here. And I think it should have won. Uh, it's one of those films. If you go back and like, you know, the things we go back, Oh, let's revisit this year. Who should have won. This is one of those films that should have won everything that year now in retrospect and, and deserves every award you're ever going to give it. 100%. And it'll never age. As Scott said, it's timeless because the lessons are universal. If the, if Facebook is not necessarily going to survive in a hundred years, the story of this movie will still appeal to people. Agreed. So it's fascinating to me, John, that you brought up the Godfather mm. and Godfather too, because I hadn't thought about before, because as much as we've been doing comparisons to Citizen Kane, we could have been doing the same with the Godfather. And here's the thing mm. about it. All, well, I'll just say the Godfather one and two are just one movie. We can forget about three or whatever, but yeah. the world of the Godfather and the world of Kane and the world of the social network, they're all about an, being American for one thing. Mm. Like what does it mean to be a success in America? Yeah. And, and being a success in America for Kane is to be president. Being a success in America in the Godfather is kind of to be president, to be accepted by the mainstream. And what does Mark Zuckerberg want? Right from the beginning in the Phoenix Club, he wants to be accepted yeah. by the mainstream. Kane wants the people's love. And what's really interesting too, and and also the other thing with The Godfather is, and with Kane, they betray their ideals. Mm -hmm. And in in Kane, in The Godfather or Godfather Two, and this, they betray a brother. All of them betray a brother yeah. in order to achieve the thing that they want to achieve. They have to let go of people that actually care about them. And then the other thing, too, is that like those movies, this is about us. This is about our, our looking at our own goals and looking at our own needs for acceptance, for wealth, for power, for revenge, for getting it over on other people and how all of those things lead you to Kane in that wheelchair at the end of, uh, you know, at the end of his life in Xanadu, it leads you to Michael Corleone sitting all alone at the end of Godfather 2 after mm -hmm. the flashback to when he's a kid. And it leads you to Mark Zuckerberg sitting alone in a fucking office where he's being sued by his best friend and he's refreshing the girl that he was cruel to way back at the beginning of the movie. They all of these paths leads to total despair and loneliness. Mm -hmm. That is the message of these films. And wow. and that and that is why these are films for the ages. Yeah. You know, they are all cautionary tales and they are all really powerful and they're all hard. They're yeah. all hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's what we think of the social network. Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You could visit us on our Facebook page. Just do a search for the cinephiles. And if you happen to be uh, on Twitter, you can look for cine underscore files. If you Instagram is more your thing, it's the cinephiles podcast. Of course, you can subscribe to the show. I'm assuming you already have. But if you hadn't, there's a little follow button or a subscribe button on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. On Apple Podcasts, we'd love to get your reviews. On YouTube, you can subscribe there as well. And there you can leave comments on every single episode. And we do read them. We don't always reply, but we love getting your comments there. And you can support the show, as we mentioned before, at patreon.com slash the cinephiles. And you can buy or stream the social network along with every other film we've ever reviewed on cinephiles.net. And if you want to reach me, it's SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris1 on Instagram. 
And John Roca, how will people find you? Yeah, you can always find me at the Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, the Outlaw Nation on Twitch, uh, and uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says. Uh, and I can't reiterate this enough for you all. The Patreon is the way to support us. It is so such a big part of how we're going to be continuing to do the things that we're continuing. So if you've noticed, we've started, I've started sending out some emails, get some more group communications, all those kinds of things. Really look for those emails. Respond to those emails. No question, thought, or comment is um, um, not wanted. Uh, we want all your input and all your desires so, and all your thoughts, rather. So when you see that email, we'd appreciate you all responding because we're trying to get better at uh, the Patreon and trying to uh, attract more and more people to come into the Patreon or to up their support of our show because we have so many big plans for the show as well. And we've got announcements coming for the show as well very soon for you all to enjoy and uh, celebrate as well but thanks for listening to this entire journey of the social network with us which we could not possibly have done without one of our favorite guests and it's been far too long since we've had you on a true deep dive and this was a truly truly deep dive (laughs) scott mance thank you so much for coming back on the show well thank you for remembering that i wanted to do the social network in the first (laughs) place and thank you for you know keeping me in mind and having me join you for these uh these these marathon deep dives. Uh, This is what the cinephiles is all about. This is why, as I've said many, many times before, the cinephiles is the podcast you should absolutely be listening to. If you love movies of all kinds, John and Steve, you guys are the best. And uh, John Roca, you know, I got to say, you know, your, your YouTube page, you know, between geek buddies and the hot mic Mm. is especially the hot mic now where John and my good friend, Jeff Snyder from FYC, is uh, on a weekly basis, sometimes multiple times on each show. They are breaking news. They are breaking more news than the Hollywood trades. <laughs> and that is saying something. That is something that even Mark Zuckerberg himself would be <laughs> extremely impressed with. So be sure to check out John Roca's YouTube page and make sure you watch or listen to the hot mic every single week. Make sure you listen to my other podcast with my great friend, Steve Morris, Enterprise Incidents. Uh, We are more than halfway through our deep dive of the animated series of Star Trek, the overlooked and underappreciated series of all of the Star Trek shows. And if you love the original series, we have all 80 episodes for you to uh, enjoy our deep dives on some of them with some incredible guests, including of course, John Stephen Roca. Mm. So, uh, and otherwise you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at movie Mance, but not on Facebook. and and i think that's it for this week we will be back next time with another great film right here on the cinephiles